You've reached the Union of Metro Street podcast, where we discuss the San Diego music scene of the late 80s and all of the 90s, from the shows we worked to the shows we played. Here we go. So that was the Calvins, and we're sitting here with them now. So let's just start over here and just everyone introduce themselves, and we'll just kind of run into it. All right. My name's Don, and I'm the bass player. I am Paul, a.k.a. Zop, lead vocals. I am Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Brian, the drummer, a.k.a. Pooney. So that song's Run Away, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's, I want to dive into this, because... First of all, I'm sitting here listening to the song, and I'm forgetting that we're going to sit here and talk because I just want to listen to more. When did you guys start? And um, let's just we'll start from that, and then we're going to do a deep dive. I want to know like all the roots of of everything, but let's just do a, a quick. Where did you start? And so 
this lovely guy over here kept messing with me. Hey, we should jam. We should jam. This is what, like 99 maybe? Yeah. So, and then eventually we jammed. I want to say it was like maybe 2000, somewhere around there. Maybe 2001. Yeah. Yeah. So finally called this bluff. Yeah. Got in a room, you know, literally wrote stuff down like, Intro, verse, chorus, right. blah, blah, blah. And then uh, we got in, I think, a hourly studio somewhere, probably. And then... Oh, Cajon. Yeah. Superior Sound, where we're at oh, now, yeah. which is kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, and just literally pounded it out. Yeah. Put the time in and like song after song after song. And then we got six <laughs> with this guy, the singer. Yeah. And... Uh, did our first show at Joe and Andy's. <laughs> Six uh-huh. songs. Hello, goodbye, and that was it. And they're all fairly, fairly quick songs. Yeah, we kind of two. Yeah, yeah, two to three minutes. That's keeping it, keep it traditional. Yeah, you would. You won't catch us with a five-minute song. No, or, so or no, even a four-minute song. A, a legacy like a twelve-minute song. Like <laughs> nothing. Nothing like, close. I, I've done that before. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work in the in the stuff. I mean, it's just when I hear it. To be honest, I get I just get giddy. Yeah, we're. Yeah, all, I mean, this reminds me of of roots of just like straight in your face rock and roll punk rock. It's just yeah. like, yeah. I mean, we all have influences that we pull from, but ultimately, what came out isn't like a. Uh, you know, contrived. Yeah, I don't think right. we said I want to sound like this and this. It's just yeah. You just went in and just started playing. That's how I feel. I don't know about these guys. It's all based but, on a lick. Everybody yeah. comes in with a lick, and we just go for it. And yeah, you know, with the bass stuffs there, the basic stuffs there, where you know he plays drums the way he plays drums. I play the way I play. He sings the way he plays, and he yeah. plays bass the way he plays. But at the end of the day, we that's that you know, chemistry, sort of, whatever. Right. So where we all kind of think somewhat on the same line to where we get, we get there and, you know, 90% of it gets kicked down the road where we just throw it out. It's crap. But right. Right. So there is an evolution, but it's usually just because we got a little better. So we're like, Hey, maybe that song could use a little bit of this. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Sprinkle that. Yeah. But as far as like, hey, uh, we want to sound like band X, Y, and Z, I know I don't do it. I don't think they do it either. I do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm laying in bed at night going, I want to sound like. <laughs> We're actually trying not to sound like everybody yeah. else. Exactly. Yeah. So with the, all the different influences, it just comes out organically and it comes out this way. Is, is there any sort of like rhyme or reason to lyrics or is it just really what it sounds like. Cause it just sounds like you just hang out and you you have a riff and then you just start working on it. You're like, Oh fuck, this makes my feet move. Next thing you know, everyone just kind of comes in. So it's just completely organic. Well, you got three, three lyric writers in this group. Oh, okay. You got the singer, you got the guitar player Runaway. He wrote all those lyrics. Uh, you got me. I write sometimes. So, right. you know, it, that helps, you know, to, I think to get the song from start to finish. Right, so it, it's really just—it's the perfect way to do a band, realistically. It's a—it's a democracy, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not ego-driven. No, definitely not. no. Okay. I think if anyone says, "Hey, hey, that doesn't really work," I, I know I'm not going home going, "Man, what the fuck?" <laughs> I'm someone I'm else. Like, That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Someone else writes lyrics. I'm like, 
that's awesome. Great. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't have to worry about it. Like, and if it's working, boom, that song's on its way. Yeah. You know? Cause it, to me personally, it just sounds like you guys have been doing this since, I mean, we're going to go down into the roots. We're going down in the freaking cellar <laughs> soon, but it sounds like you guys have been playing, you know, 20, 25, 30 years. It just, it, it comes off. It's non-pretentious. It's not ego driven. It's just some fucking fun rock and roll punk rock. And it's, there's, you know, sitting with you, there's nothing contrived about it. So is that because of age? Because you're all at a point where it's like, okay, yeah, this is it. Or you just kind of, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, we're not, we're Let's just not dive into the weeds. A, a lot of nodding for sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know for me it's, yeah, there's, I don't feel the competition. I don't feel like, uh, hey, this band's doing this, this band's doing that. We should do it. I mean, right. maybe, maybe a little bit on the marketing side, like, hey, that's a great idea. Right, maybe right. we should throw our hat in that ring. But as far as the music goes, I, I personally feel like it's coming out one way or another. These guys are going to... Yeah. Kind of have our sound. It's kind of a... Uh, you know, we... It took a while to get to where, and we quit playing for a lot of years, but then we got back in and kind of revamped our sound a little bit. But okay. for the most part, we, we, you know, I, I know what he's thinking and I think he knows what I'm thinking. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a lot of, uh, yeah, I would say like finishing each other's sentences type of vibe. Yeah. Like, hey, you know, I hear this. I hear what you're thinking. I, you know, I, I could feel it. You know, I, I think I know the next part coming up. Yeah. So that does help for sure. Oh yeah, no, I can I can definitely relate with that. Yeah. So well when did um when did you guys let's just start with you when when did you start playing music and like Well I got a late I got a late deep. start. Yeah. So I, I got a late start, I feel. Um I didn't start playing drums till like seventeen and a half. Okay. Was when I got my first kit, but I was inspired probably by all the death metal dungeon bands at Union Street. Right. A lot of my friends from high school played shows there, you know, every time, you know, there was a dungeon death metal show. Yeah. I had probably like three or four friends that were in four or five of the bands that used to play there pretty regularly. The only names I really remember, like Excarnatus, Cerebral uh, Incarceration. Right. Uh, Damnation. There was like blackness. Yeah, like a couple more that were kind of like on the like later fringe part of the uh, uh, of union of the of the dungeon before it moved. Right. Um, but yeah, like those guys that went to my high school, and I was like intimidated. I'm like, there's no way. I, right. I can't. I can't go in there and do that. You know, they're right. playing like what 180 BPM or whatever it is. Yeah. I'm like, man, I don't even have a drum set. So, but I was a fan. And, mm -hmm. and that was my inspiration to finally go, all right, going to get a kid after high school, going to get in my room and just suck until I don't and then, right. and then move on. So right. when I met these guys, these two, um, I still wasn't confident. I was very like trapped in my own head, like, oh God, I suck. This is going to be terrible, blah, blah, blah. But I think the chemistry w made it way more easy to just go, okay, we got something going on. Right. So just keep doing what you're doing. Let it, let your playing evolve naturally and you'll right. be fine. Right. And those, that's basically my roots is like, just get in there and suck until you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Which I believe is a Dave Grohl quote. So. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of that, that whole fake it till you make it thing. But yeah. Yeah. So, but there was a determination there. 
Yeah, because it was like, once you get started, it's kind of like a drug. You're like, well, shit, I've made it to this level. Yeah. Why am I going to stop now? That's stupid. I we we have six way. songs. We played them at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we going to say he was on the bar top screaming at everybody? I'm like, we made it. <laughs> now <laughs> we just got to do it six more times. <laughs> what, what bar was this? This was uh, Joe and Andy's in La Mesa. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which he bar uh, singer bartended there. I bartended there at one point. You took your I clothes off the there. Don't let, don't let him touch the money. <laughs> yeah. Don't let him touch the money. Uh, yeah, you've been naked there at least yes. 12 times. <laughs> the stage was tiny, so I had to stand on the bar to sing because there's absolutely nowhere to stand. So Yeah. Literally on the bar, sometimes your ass would hit the fucking the tap and beer would start flowing. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> it, it reminds me a lot of the, the velvet. Well, for me, yeah. personally, Same you know, I, oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was Andy at the Velvet, and then yeah. Joe, Joe at Joe and Andy's. Oh, yeah. that's right. Okay, yeah, they bought the Velvet. Yeah, God, that's that's a name I haven't heard. And was Andy was was he the one that was married to Natasha? I think so. Okay, because they lived, or Natasha lived down the street. So there's a lot of these, you know. Again, when we were talking about earlier, there's so much. Um, what do you want to probably Inter- grammar Inter- incestuous nature, but. There's so many in our scene, there's so many people that one way or another know, you know, someone else. But the roots of where everything came from and how they come up is the one thing that doesn't really get talked about unless you become super famous and then you you put out a book. So that's why I like to know the roots of like where where everything gets started and and bringing up Joe and Andy's. I mean, there's plenty of people that won't even remember that. And the funny thing is that's the velvet right over there. Yeah. So when I first went, you know, going there with all the different iterations of the different clubs and everything, before I moved here, it was like, you know, it would be a weird place to live. This would be so cool next to the bar. When it became, um, what was it at that point, Pirate's Den or something? It was originally the Casbah. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, it turned into something after, after the Velvet... And what was it? The crowbar? Was it the crowbar? That, that sounds that familiar, might be yeah. right. That sounds yeah. right. But one of the other iterations that it became, and I was living here, I went there a couple of times and I did some plumbing work and I did some work for them. And uh, I would go over there and drink whiskey and I just thought, you know, this isn't the same as back in the day. Yeah. It's not the same when I was standing out in front with, you know, the spent idols and, you know, just, it wasn't the same. But... That place has been so many different bars, and it's, you know, another thing that's that's been around the scene for so long. But it's the bands and the people and how they keep coming together and bringing it up. So, let's do, when, when did uh, when did you start playing guitar? And, like and 12. Why? So, he had been in a ton of bands before we all met. No. And you guys? No. Yeah. Two. Two. Okay. That's a ton to me. So, <laughs> I was 12, you know, played, you know, folk songs. And, uh, but loved like the clash and, and Hendrix and, you know, right. can't play like either one of them, but you know, so, but just kept playing was in a bunch of terrible bands in my teens and it was fun. We would do, um, in high school, I went to saints. So we would play, you know, shows all over this place where we're at right now. It was kind of yeah. fun. Um, we were, we were awful, but you know, we just kept doing it. We'd do a bunch of covers and some originals and kind of like just kept, you know, flowing into the next thing. And then. 
another band would start three years later. And I was talking to you about uh, John Arquella from uh, Beta 7 in Buck 09. So yeah. me and John and John Jackson were in a three-piece band back in, I think, 89 or 90 maybe. And we, we, were, we were decent. John was a drummer at the time, John Arquella. And um, he was a good drummer. So we had fun and there was no, we were just having a good time and we played backyard parties and, you know, I think we played a show with the forbidden pigs back in the day and, you know, so, but we were, we weren't, we shouldn't have been there, but, (laughs) you know, but it was cool. And then just kept playing. And then, um, I think in my twenties I was in a few different bands and then I met this guy cause I'm a little bit older than this guy. And then we would just, that's where it started. So he, he was, we were into similar types of music and pretty diverse stuff, but, um, yeah, he and I just hit it off in his drum style. He had the chops and I was like, cool, you know, and, and, and locally there was a lot of good music going on in the nineties here locally too. Yeah. So for sure. And so we were like, wow, let's, um, you know, let's kind of move through that, that maze a little bit. And we did, but we kind of, like I said, we just kind of started our own kind of gig and couldn't find a singer. So then <laughs> and hung out and drank a lot of beer with this guy. And, uh, and he, anyway, it should be noted that we did spend a lot of time with Paul in right. his van listening to him drunk sing on many weekends <laughs> to all the bands we love rocket fluff uh who else super suckers yeah uh yeah the list goes on i mean and we all had that in common we all right. love those bands from the 90s san diego scene it, and that that's what i think really kind of got us together like hey they're doing it why don't we give it a shot you know we're a little late to the game but right who cares so and we couldn't we couldn't find a singer we had a different bass player at the time it was back in the day and it was mike carnivale but so we we were just sitting there kind of going, okay what's next and so we we he wanted to sing and he we would hear <laughs> he we didn't would, want to we sing. Would hear him <laughs> sing. We're like you know what he's got a good grit to his voice right and then uh we had him sing Flowers by the Door by TSOL, right? That was yeah. your intro song. So he came out and sung. We, we learned, we already knew it. We sung Flowers. He sung Flowers by the Door. Like, you're in. That's it. Like, this is how old it was. I remember bringing, we worked together. So I remember bringing him a CD copy of the song going, here, we know this. Now it's your turn to learn it. And then come in and then see what happens. Right. And he yeah. wasn't nervous either. It was oh, no big I deal. I was fucking frightened. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never, I'd never been in a band before. You know, always like the like the music, and uh, you know, drove everybody around in my van. We'd party hard and crank the tunes, and uh, you know, these guys were doing their thing, and they're like, "Hey, you know, you want to, you know, sing for the band?" I'm like, "What? Are you crazy?" You know, right. literally, like, uh, and I, you know, for some reason, I said, "You know what? Fuck it, I'll give it a shot." Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I showed up. And here we are. So you never had any aspirations at all to... Growing up as a kid, I would, in my room, sing. Right, you know, right. Like, you know, almost yeah. like lip sing. Yeah. But uh, never thought I would ever be the singer of a band. Really? Yeah. <laughs> never. That's crazy. And we already had a ton of songs kind of done. And then once we got a singer, we we, we kind of re, we reworked them right. to where we were like, okay, cool. Cause it was, we were just flying blind. And and then he came in, we're like, okay, cool. He's got a good grit. We liked his tone and he, he could shake his ass. So we're like, you know what? This is, this is going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> he already had a van too. So that kind of helps. I know. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. The, well, like that's... Chevy conversion van. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, I mean, that was one of the things. Um, my guitarist, Jules, from Damnation, he had his, his van. So, you know, he could show up. He's, he's, you know, if he wanted to go on tour, just load up. And the drummer had his double kick and God knows what other things that he stole from Neil Peart because his drum set was huge. <laughs> so then, you know, when they're doing Damnation, they're this full metal band. But he's got the band, he's got the look. And then our bass player, Tony, this little guy, but just this froey hair. I mean, they look so metal. <laughs> and then Brian, our drummer, you know, big guy. So I'm like, yeah, these guys just, these guys are fucking metal. They got the van. They got, they got it going. So we ended up talking and we did the band Poor with me singing, which was, man, that was quite an experiment. But there's so many things when you're trying to figure out a band as a kid. That you have, you know, the little things you have to check off. Do they have the look or do we care about the look? Is he prettier than my mom? <laughs> you know, you got to go through all the little things as you're growing up. And for me growing up, I still find it amazing what other people went through because I started off trying to be a guitarist to please my dad, basically. And you know, all I cared about was drawing things with eyes hanging out and riding my skateboard. And I, I got a D in guitar class. And then, um, so later when I got older, I realized I couldn't play the guitar worth a shit. So I started playing the bass, but I started playing it kind of like I would play a guitar. And then vocals came in because I couldn't play anything, but I wanted to be up there and I just had something else to say, but I didn't really want to do it. So I like finding the dynamics of, of bands and, you know, it's just, it's, you know, really curious when you go from an idea to writing songs but if so many bands you know i've been in so many different projects if you find the right people and things just fall in place then you know you're like all right fuck it i'll just do vocals and now i'm listening going god you're more seasoned than i am your, your vocals sound better than mine and i've tried all these different styles so i find it absolutely just fascinating the roots and we're gonna we're gonna go into the roots of the rest of the scene and, and everything in a minute but what Why'd you start playing the bass? Let's get the... <laughs> well, it's kind of an interesting story. I don't know how much I should divulge because it doesn't literally, literally make sense. But when Kurt Cobain died, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, shit, I should go buy an instrument. I didn't even know the difference between a bass and a guitar. I just went down to Freedom and I was just looking around. And for some reason, bass kind of, it was bigger. It looked easier. <laughs> yeah. And so, and I know Kurt Cobain wasn't a bass player, but for some reason, it right then, it just hit me. Oh, shit. I'm going to the store and I'm going to buy an instrument. And I did. Figured it out and then just started playing right away and started writing songs. And um, I haven't stopped since I was 20. So you just picked right into it and just... Yeah, and I, I really felt like, you know, it it was like so natural to me. It came and then all of a sudden, you know, I started realizing all of the music I listened to, Jane's Addiction and Faith the More and all these things that I liked. I was like, oh, crap, there's a lot of bass in that. Oh, man. I, and there were so many things like, oh, man, I've been hearing this sound my entire life, but not knowing what that sound was. And then yeah. now I could make that sound. And it just started me on the path that I still continue to walk on. That is crazy. 
So when, when, how did you end up in the band? So it was kind of a weird thing because, um, again, we all hung out at this place, Joe and Andy's. Joe mm-hmm. and Andy's going to come up a lot today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, every person I know is because I happened to walk into that bar to see uh, this band called Pure Milk back in the day. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, so I was friends with those guys, and you know that I fell in love with Mesa. I moved to La Mesa, and you know, just my whole thing, and all my friend group. And So anyway, so... Um, I was in a band that actually ran the open mic night there. And so the, uh, the drummer and I would go and we'd have people come up. And Kevin was one of the guys that came up and we jammed and started to get to know him a little bit. And then we actually played with them for their first show. And so that was like probably 2002, I think. And then about three years later, there was some kind of thing. I, I wasn't that close with them. There was some kind of thing happened where they, they needed a bass player. And so that we were all at this party and they're like, um, do you know a bass player? And my girlfriend, who's my wife now, was like, um, I know one. Cause I didn't realize that I was being propositioned. I thought we were having a conversation. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, I ended up, I was like, yeah, I'll come and see what happens. We used to practice at Kevin's house and, you know, I'd always been into punk rock music and it seemed to be a good fit and they already had something going. So I was like, you know, glad to be able to step into a position where they already kind of had things going. So I didn't have to start it. So I'm in my other band, I'm the principal songwriter, the vocalist, you know, so I was glad to be in this situation where these guys already had their stuff together. I just had to learn what they're doing and put my flair on it. And um, here we are 20 years later, still doing it. So it just came like naturally because you'd already, seems like you already have kind of had the, the, the sensation of, of playing and just, all those right. with the savant things, which I don't have, because I'm still trying to learn how to play the bass. Yeah, was it easy to like just it, it, it come came in and- rather naturally? Because um, I again, I I've always been into Descendants and that kind of music, and so I didn't really I really know what they were wanting. I just came in and did what I do, and right. it seemed to, to fit. I just had to uh, figure out how to play as fast as humanly possible because <laughs> <laughs> I don't use a pick. And so it was like, good Lord. Like I remember coming home the first few practices, like, man, I can't, I did not know my fingers could go that fast. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was the biggest thing. And then, you know, just trying to get my brain to work that way. Cause my other band is kind of prog. And so it was trying to, you know, I, I literally can't, think that fast i have to like and it has to be that way and so i don't have time to think about what i'm doing which works out a lot better because i don't i can't what did i leave the iron on i don't have that luxury and i know how it is there and speaking of me being a bass player i found that you know if you go from transitioning to playing something that you really you know, in your comfort zone to playing something new, you work in new calluses. So how many days did you go home with bloody fingertips? Um, 20 years. <laughs> I still got one from our show last Saturday. I was like, yeah, um, no, it, it, that's the one thing I can't quite get my mind around um, how it, it's it still hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not getting better. I just get used to it, you know, but. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. It does still hurt. It yeah. hurts way more now. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Oh yeah, I'm still trying to hit as hard as I did back in 2003, four, five. You know, it's yeah. not easy. Yeah. Oftentimes, I get off stage, especially if we do a Ken Club show. I am like a wet rat. Yeah. I just I have to get ice or some area of cooling. I got to get out of there because there's no ventilation in there. Oh yeah. I'm I way know. overheated. 
I'm probably already dehydrated, even though I've been drinking water the entire 30 minutes we've been playing. But I get it. It, yeah. it continues to hurt. Yeah. But yeah. we love it, so we keep doing it. Yeah. Well, I, I get the same thing as if I get into one of my good stances to play so I can start moving my feet and dancing, I start feeling my knee, and then I start concentrating on that, and then my ankle, and it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm old. They're going to hurt, and they're going to continue to hurt. But I, I got to... I got to do my thing. Yeah. And I still, I, I, because bass players, you know, I kind of have calluses still, but they're, they're not, you know, it's not leather again. Right. And to be able to play what, you know, what we'd like to play, I need leather on my fingertips. And then I go to work and I do my thing and I'm, you know, with, with uh, landscaping, so I'd start rubbing them off, and especially when I was doing tile, I'd rub them off, and then I'd play a show, and then they're they're blistering. It's you know, it's all for the love of playing, but you know, at this point, it's kind of like you can't just quit. No, no. And it, you know, when you're that good, you know, I don't want to throw it on your shoulders, but I'm going to. I mean, you guys, you guys are are just killing it up there. Thank Again, you. it's just, you. you know, Thanks. I'm becoming a sycophant, but yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> I really just enjoy what you're doing. So what, um, how, how many albums and, and um, where are you at right now as far as your discography? I think we have what one full length uh, album and two EPs. Are they out on uh, vinyl or? Uh, no, they're, you know, digitally you can get them. Yeah. You know, they're on Bandcamp or Spotify or, you know, you name it. All the A Apple Music. Digital platform. Yeah. 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 I think so, even the, the EP is on YouTube as well, like three separate songs. Yeah. And I think I was doing some research on there. This is the, the question because I didn't talk about it with Clint. It was, you know, we, when we were talking with him earlier. I've never gotten any vinyl. One of my things is I want my own music on vinyl. I've got CDs, I've got tapes, there's digital stuff. But um, do you guys ever want to do vinyl, or are you ready to go through that process? Because it's yeah, it's really it's so backed up right now. Yeah, it's backed up. It's expensive. There's minimum quantities that make it maybe not so like economically viable. Right, right. Um, we did a run of what like fifty CDs for the EP, the newest one, and those went pretty quick. But we didn't really sell them. It was more like a business card. Like, hey, if you don't want yeah. to go on Spotify or whatever, then here, check this out. And we did some cool artwork and whatnot. Yeah. And I was thinking of actually doing another run of those because I think a lot of people would still just grab them at shows. Oh, yeah. You know, but we also do a little business card that has the link to all the digital barcode. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a little QR code you could scan and it'll go to a link to all the streaming platforms and whatnot. But yeah. you that's another thing. You kind of have to like change with the times or you're going to yeah. be spending a lot and, of money. <laughs> well, right. yeah, that's... So. That's one of the things that mystifies me is, I mean, how can you make it? Do you making decent money doing a show or? No. no we'd we're, uh, yeah. We'd rather play. We got for, paid once. Oh, yeah. No. No. We, okay. We got paid more than once, but we got paid oh, the most. I was only told we got paid once. No. <laughs> well. <laughs> well in, the, in the history. Yeah. Of, uh, 50 bucks. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we've, we've been paid 50 bucks and 200 bucks. So. You know, wow. Yeah. yeah we just a did a really cash. cool show at the Ken with Daikaiju and that was like a big draw. You know, we were just a supporting act. And right. So we got a pretty good chunk from We that. don't we don't play for money. We're yeah. like yeah. If, if if there's a draw at the door, we don't anyone that shows up to see us, it's free because you know, we're yeah. not gonna that's kind of our thing. Let's just get it out there, have fun, but we don't we don't charge. Yeah. So Yeah, the goal now is to just play to 
people that haven't seen us before. And for free alcohol, and, too. Yeah. That's it. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're still stingy on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that seems to be the one thing they're the most stingy on nowadays. Yeah. You get like two drink tickets. You're like, really? That's it? Two, two yeah. beers? Really? Yeah. That's how it is. We are appreciative yeah. of yeah. the drink tickets. But we'll take it. That's how yeah. it is. We'll take whatever yeah. we get. With the touring bands, too, they give you two drink tickets across the U.S. Really? It's like, yeah. Unreal. Yeah. I mean, maybe give you a case of beer or whatever but yeah the two drink tickets. that'd be nice that's i think that's standard yeah well i don't know that anybody really wants to have to deal with an angry drunk musician <laughs> yeah yeah Actually, well, we, unfortunately, we can go some of us give ourselves. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> I'm kidding. Some of us give ourselves a bad name. Yeah. Well, fun, fun fact we've actually never done a tour we've really? we've only played san diego you haven't done la or not huh? so yeah. we you know we've been talking about some stuff actually right before covid we had a mini tour of like Reno, Humboldt, Tahoe, maybe Orange County. Just a friend was kind of talking with us and said, hey, I could help you guys out, you know, book, you know, five or six venues in yeah. NorCal. And, you know, maybe you guys can figure something else out, on, you know, on your way back down. And then COVID hit. So we're like, well, that was scrapped. So, yeah. And it's basically at this point, it's going on three years of putting a kibosh on a lot of things. Well, we, we, Jerry and I have had struggles because we got some projects we're working on, but even being able to do events has been weird. Yeah. You know, like the one that, uh, when you guys played with, um, John up at the, the brewery and we were trying to do the podcast there. And, um, it's just weird now that it seems like everything's shifting to breweries and a completely different style of doing shows. Than you know the the pre COVID sort of thing. I mean, there's still the bars, but I kind of like these. They kind of make them more festival, you know, in all age. But you can drink. It's just it's a different environment. Well, it's weird because did you ever grow up thinking you'd be at an all ages show at a brewery? I know I didn't. <laughs> yeah, or, or even <laughs> even the it's kind of like playing a restaurant if you think about yeah. it. Yeah, 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 and the well. We when I was doing since in seventy seven we played uh, Tio Leo's and oh god this was before my wife and I well it was um, probably two thousand or two thousand one and that was kind of weird because you know the, the half of it well this is still when it was inside so the one half was the bar where they had it all set up and it was kind of like a club and it was, it was pretty cool. And the guys at Deadbolt came out to support us. But then the other side is the restaurant where I used to take dates. And I knew about it because, you know, I was over at Soma. So I could, oh, it's a fancy place. And they'll allow me here because I'm termed from Soma, you know. But now it's like these breweries. I, as a kid, I never even thought I'd be in a brewery. Yeah. You know, well, they I, weren't even really a thing. Even a thing yeah. yeah I don't what am I going to go up really to, you know, the Great White North? <laughs> right. <laughs> no. I, you know. <laughs> As a side note, though, with the Tio Leo's, they used to cater our New Year's Eve shows. So all the food that we served at the New Year's Eve at Soma at the at the sports at arena, we, we, we did show the sports arena. Oh no, we did those yeah, 20, yeah. 20 bands. Yeah, yep. They, I, Tio Leo's would. I remember cater those. That. Yeah, yep. That's crazy. Uh, nice. Yeah, speaking of Tia Leo's, I think I've been to many a swing show there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they had a pretty Bloody good Blue swing and, crowd yeah. there, yeah. yeah. That was fun. Yeah, and then it's, um, we've told this story before, but um, we would take bands, if they wanted to use a shitter, a clean one, <laughs> because I knew the guy cleaning the toilets at our place. And uh, <laughs> so we would take them over to Tia Leo's. So like Ian, 
Didn't you take Ian? I know we've told you, this you story. You took Ian. I took Ian? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. When, who? God, I can't remember. There's so that many. That was a Fugazi but it was, tour? You know, Fugazi yeah. tour? Yeah. yeah. I, I think I was at that show. Yeah. yeah but it was, it was a, a clean toilet, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't want Ian crapping on a thing that I just cleaned an hour before. <laughs> I mean, he's the godfather of uh, the hardcore movement, right? Yeah. So, at least the East Coast yeah. godfather. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it was... That was as close to something like the um, oh god I can't remember the place that we were just at when we did did everything evolution e- evolution, but is that um you guys notice how the scene has changed being you know our age? Do you think it's like going a, a better direction? Is it bringing more people in? Is it a different audience? Or what what are your your thoughts of this? Because again, as we were talking about. You know, back in the day, you, you you put out a tape and then you put out vinyl and then eventually CDs came and made it a little bit easier. But now everything's just live streaming. It's so much easier, so much more accessible. And now even the shows are different. So are you finding anything personal thoughts sort of? I have thoughts, but I'll let somebody else go if yeah. they want to go before me. But Yeah, so right? I think I think what's going on right now, a lot of it's not good. Um because it's all a lot of it. We were listening to a, 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 a recording of one of our friends' bands on the way down here before, he, and it's a lot of it's just the same stuff, and it's it sucks. So kind of keeps us kind of going in, a, in the other direction, but right. And then there's a lot of like it's kind of neat. You said you know the the younger scene with the breweries, and there's a lot of young kids out there, and they still love like what we loved when we were their age, which is cool. But a lot of the music is real bubblegum, and that's not good. Um, but then you'll hear like occasionally you'll walk into a bar and you'll hear some band and maybe they're from here. Maybe they're not. That's that's doing something different. So we're we're trying to grab that a little bit and run with it and, and keep it edgy. But there's a lot of like stuff that's not good, in my opinion. So, well, you got to you got to remember, too, we're we're older now and, you know, our parents didn't like our music. So <laughs> we're kind of the parents now. Yeah, yeah true. We don't like the kids music. Well, that's that's the other thing, too, that I've noticed two things really quick. Number one about that show that we were at. I was really energized by the young people that were there. I thought it was cool. And in that aspect, I think it's cool that this can kind of happen because there are a small fraction of younger people that don't even know anything about heavy music. And they seem to like it, especially when we played the North County. It was seemed like, wow, these kids really like it. And just the energy of them being there where we're used to people just kind of standing there. I mean, not when we're playing, but um, but the other aspect that's kind of been and I don't know if it's the age thing so much, but when we were starting out headlining a show was midnight that was what you look forward to and, <laughs> and now we all want to play at nine like, and yeah. so it's kind of funny because the you know when we originally started it's like it seemed more like we're just throwing a party you know the fact right. that we're playing there's a party and all of our friends came and now it's kind of like like he like brian was saying earlier like trying to get to play to other people because our friends don't want to be out late anymore and yeah. even like with clint and some of the other people that are all in the same Network, peer group yeah. we don't want to be uh out at midnight we right. still want to play and we still want to you know so it's kind of this weird thing that's going on between i think kevin was more talking about the the music scene but just the the the, the playing scene just seems to be so different now everyone's vying for nine um <laughs> and 
or, or else that you're not going to be playing to anybody. Yeah, first you know, second, we played Daikaiju. Right. Yeah. That was the first time where I was like, oh, crap, there is a lot of people here at 1230. And they were all similar age. Um, but I, I was like, okay, now that's a band that can play whenever they want. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but I was just like shocked that we played one with a... Uh, lower class brats and it was a similar kind of thing but but those people didn't even want to come in they were all sitting outside drinking water and stuff and then when the band they want to see it come they all went inside but it's just it's kind of a weird thing to um to have this shift because again i've been active since the 90s and it's just so weird now people are like i don't know are they the headliner like that's a conversation now it's like who's the headliner I don't oh know. yeah, you yeah, know, yeah it's like, because mean. it used to be whoever was playing last of the headline now it's like you got to find some chump band to play last because nobody yeah. wants to well, you, and they're out yeah. there too <laughs> you even have a uh, co-headlining too it's like i just yeah did a tour with buckle nine and muster plug and we we would uh flip spots depending on where we're playing so because muster plug would have a, a larger crowd in another state so there'd be those people that wanted to see them. So of course they're going to stick around. And then obviously San Diego for Buck 09, we played the soda bar, it was sold out. Yeah. So of course they're going to headline. So it was kind of, they, we kind of rotated everywhere we played. So yeah, my, now, com- do you my, think my this- comments are a little bit different. My, my yeah. comments are more towards like, like the, uh, the younger generation that's coming up now, like I have a 16 year old daughter, so I'm kind of privy to some of the music scene stuff. And she, she goes to the new Soma and I've been there a few times and it seems like it's, you know, business as usual. Yeah. Corporate. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Get in. Well, what I think is, is, is probably more of a shame is the, the full blown, like really obvious pat down. And just the oh, really? just the the way to get in there, but once they're in there, it, it was like reminded me more of like the other venues, you know. But that's probably also a sign of the times having to do the pat downs. True. Yeah, I think you have to. But he's yeah. definitely more in touch with what's going on out there now. So for me, everything's black and white. Let's do our t-shirts black and white. So he comes in with a different, a whole different thing. Where I'm going, wow, you know. And and but that's yeah. No, I'm, it's a good yeah, thing. It's no, not a bad thing right. because I'm out of touch <laughs> to some degree. But I still love the old school, you know. Um, artwork and stuff, and he comes in with all these different. It's it's more colorful, which is not bad. It's a good thing. Our shirts right. and I want to grab. Stickers. I want to grab. He's trying to grab eyes. different. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and no, it yeah. works. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And he understands know. that because he's got a daughter that's in into like well, very she, cool stuff. So. What I've noticed is like it's it feels like especially through her eyes that the scene is kind of reverting back to the way it was when we were there. Like DIY, yeah. more DIY. Right, like she's cutting right, up right. sweaters and shit, and she's making her own clothes. We're going thrifting a lot, and like that's cool, you know. And at sixteen, because yeah. my daughter's twenty-two, yeah, like, and she's going to like shows under a freeway, generator shows. Yeah. There's shows out in the desert and stuff like that. I'm like, you're not going to the fucking desert, are you crazy? But like, <laughs> is, is, me, your, is your daughter doing the similar stuff? Like, she's twenty-two, obviously she's right. a little older, but is she out doing the shows thing or no? She's, it? I mean. It's my daughter, so if she wants to go see a show, it's either with with mom, they went to see Dolly Rots, but she's like, fuck, I got it all here. They'll come to the house. <laughs> you know, but she's also not, she's not that outgoing. She's got her two really tight-knit friends, and they hang here. Um, you know, this is just kind of like a safe haven, and because of COVID and everything, everything's gotten weird. They'll go out every now and again. Um but, and she's heavily into music. She's talented. She's a talented artist. 
I can definitely see with the kids that I work with that I mentor, the Magnol Company, they're doing shows. Um, they were, some of the kids were at that event and it is different. It's getting back to DIY. Um, but it's, it's not the punk rock, you know, when I was wearing this, this beanie back booking shows with my, my Mohawk back then, I didn't think I'd be wearing it now, but it's part of a nostalgia thing. So I like wearing it. The kids nowadays, to be punk rock, it's it's finally gotten to a point where it's it's more DIY and individual. They're not going to claim onto something, but they have a lot of the the attitude of wanting to do these shows and do something about art. And I'm really pushing to to do more art, to be more involved. And there's so much talent out there, and they're figuring it out. But they need old people like me to kind of lead them the way to find out on their own. I mean, Magnol companies, they've I, incorporated themselves. I disagree. I don't think these kids need us at all. They're, <laughs> they're, out, they're out there just, they're doing it. You know, they, they maybe, maybe saw the scene at some point or were like, hey, we could do this too. And then I, for me personally, I just feel like, oh, we're never going to break into this. So yeah. The, whatever these, like Mouthguard, all these other bands that are kind of just doing their thing yeah. they're, they're of that age well, you know what the difference is now um back in the 90s when we were doing music um there was a music business there was an industry there's that, not, right there, that's yeah. all gone yeah everybody's right here with yeah their, with their phones the oh well, i'm on youtube yeah. you know yeah so yeah that whole concept and and us our ages we don't get that no we're old school Right. In my mind, I was like, we're going to work our asses off and hopefully play like Casbah opening up for Lucy's or Rocket. Like, that's what I want to do. And now I'm right. like, fuck, maybe we should find these teenagers and try to do a fucking generator <laughs> show. Like, what's up? Well, that's, <laughs> that's one of the things that I am, I've been working on with them. And actually, John and John's great, the by kids the way. and I, yeah. we're, we're talking about, um, we're banding about, I like using that word. Something about it, bandying about what am I, freaking Australian? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're talking about I want to do something with you guys we're and, and with them, yeah. And we're just trying to figure out where, um, Jerry and I, like I said earlier, we we have we have a, a project, a, a pretty big project that we're working on, and it's just a matter of finding, I don't know, it's. Almost, you know, because we are older, it's finding the right movement and trying to get, and I'm not talking about a bowel movement. I'm just trying to, you know, <laughs> oh, to get people. we too. <laughs> <laughs> Fiber. Yeah, no, go. but to, to be able to get enough people together and focused in on something, and, you know, we still have to, we're all adults and we have, you know, lives, we have families and we have things going on. But to be able to push towards something and I think we have to bring the youth into it. You have to. So they're here. But the kids are already doing a pretty good job. There's a lot of small scenes. It's to be able to. Here's here's a good question. If coming in and working with those kids, do you feel like you you should try to impress them somehow, or Fuck you no. just sort of slide in like just do what we do? They do what they do. If it's a shit like show, you. it's they a like shit you. show. If yeah. it's great, it's great. Like that's. I couldn't think of anything more organic than that. But seeing your daughter, um, like going to those summer shows, did it bring back those memories from the nineties? 
like going to Metro. Yeah, they, absolutely. Yeah, like felt, I, I felt great. I was like, this is cool for her. She's you, fucking in the middle of the pit the entire time. So you I'm felt in that the back. vibe, like the scene. Oh, is, yeah. the, the actual, there's a scene, but you know, the new Soma, they're not doing local bands anymore because it's, it's Live Nation that owns it. Right. So yeah, I, when, when I went there, it was uh, Sad Park, which I think is L.A., uh, Together Pangea, I think they're also LA. Band, bands I've never heard of. T- Together <laughs> yeah. Pangea is awesome. You should check them out. Um, Sad Park, they're okay. But again, I think these kids, they're they're not... F- I mean, yeah, you're going to probably have some hardcore punkers like we had in our day. And, you know, they follow that genre. But I think now, like, it's... it's They're doing everything. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. alternatives, it's big, more inclusive. Like, chill music. Surf music is totally back. Like, um, Surf Curse, they're awesome. Like, my daughter's just given me so many bands to check out. And I'm like, this is so simple and cool. This is why they're doing it. It's a drummer and a guitar player. Yeah. You know? And they're just, they're killing it. Yeah. But so, yeah. So it's back to something that you kind of touched on. I will say that I thought that it was mutual, maybe not. But when we were playing with those young kids, we definitely, I think, had a feeling we're going to show them how it goes. Like yeah. there was de- not, you know, just let them know the old school or or the roots. There was something, and I'm sure we're all confident enough that when people see us playing, we know that they're seeing something that they haven't seen in a while, at least. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be some level of impression that goes on anyway. But there was definitely, when we were playing with these little kids at the skate park, there's definitely some like, okay, let's show them how it's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a little different, you for guys sure. Because you guys are, are polished. You guys have that stage presence where but these, a lot of these other bands, they, they just don't have it. So you come out and you just like punch it, you know, trying to be a yeah. mach- like a machine. We want to blow your face off a little bit, you know, and, and so I think we get it most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> trying to do the thing that drove us to like that music, you know, yeah. show them that like, yeah, raw, like fucking look at us. It's that We're energy fucking in your face. Yeah. Let's you can go, be man. polished and still be a little bit like, holy shit. Are you, are they going to make it through the song? Like that's kind of the whole, <laughs> the whole vibe I've always wanted to pull yeah. off. Like, Hey, this is, they may not make it, but then they do. And you're like, all right, killer. They made yeah. it. <laughs> that old man didn't die. Well, <laughs> yeah, not even, yeah. That would be me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's kind of I realistic. When I think of my cockroach performances, that's kind of like, Oh my God, he didn't die. <laughs> wow. That's good Fuck, stuff. they're going to do another one. Yeah. How this they is going to be it. This will be the minutes, one. Man, we do 28 minutes. Yeah, and 28 after, minutes. After that, it's like no more. We did an encore last Friday night, and I was like, oh God. I You're just, at 33 minutes done. just oh, going on. Yeah, done. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, that was my. Yeah, I, had, I think the debate to do the encore was longer than the song. <laughs> <laughs> But we did it, so that was good. Yeah, we should definitely hook up and do a do a something with you. yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. Did any of you guys know yeah. that Smashing Pumpkins show at at Metro? No, uh, which nineties? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to look at ticket they did, stubs. They I don't did remember three hours. Yeah, so how did they do that? No opening. I don't remember. I that. saw them down at about two years ago, right before COVID. Right before COVID, I saw them down at, at Sleep Train, whatever it is now, but. Man, and they were good, but I, I think they were an hour and a half, and and it, they were phenomenal. But three hours, GNR is doing like three hour shows now, and they're in their sixties, right? So yeah, it's nuts, man. So twenty eight minutes is like tops for us. They don't they don't <laughs> yeah. play as fast as us, definitely not. <laughs> but a lot of that too, you know, when you get to that age and that's all you're doing, that's all you have to worry about, you know. Yeah. So you can work for True. three hours, yeah, and then sleep and you know because you have everyone doing when you're at that level 
you know, we, I was just talking with Mike Spen about it the other day. It's when you reach a certain level, your people do all your work. So to even get a hold of someone, you know, you may have been friends forever, but once someone gets into that millionaire and then to the billionaire, <laughs> it's like you can send them a text and they're going to go, is my phone ringing? <laughs> Would you people look at it? And then five people are going to look at it. And by the time it gets to you, it's like, oh, it's time to go to bed. Oh, yeah. I couldn't imagine. Oh, Sarah, any... your, your mom yeah. called. <laughs> she's, she's dying. Okay, we'll have someone send her a message. I, I couldn't imagine you know? any of us pre-Madonna-ing that much. To be <laughs> honest. We all work full time, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know. But even if we had the money, I don't think any of us Sorry, would trust bro. anyone else to like yeah. set anything up. I know I wouldn't. I don't think you would. No. I mean, we would probably show up for sound check if we absolutely had to not touch our stuff right. to set it up. But that would, that's such a foreign idea. That, so the, Okay, well, then know. let's go with that, with the idea of, say you guys get picked up and you're making, say you're just making corn money. Not even Green Day, Blink-182 money. And then you have people, you know, you have a crew setting up your stage. I know how I feel about it, but I want to I want to find out from Brian. Let's just start with you. Can you imagine someone going and setting up your drums? No, I'd probably still want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least watch the guy. There's something about <laughs> it. I mean, you got to, it's your fucking drums. Yeah. I, I, I mean, mean, you can put them there for me, but cool. Yeah. Call it a control issue. Call it whatever. I, I want to know when I hit that first fucking whatever snare bass drum hi-hat i i know it's not gonna fall over right which i will say one point which is the main reason why i hate doing back lines i'm usually like no i'll fucking just tear that shit down i'll put mine up yeah i spent all the money for it i might as well play it it sounds great i know it's gonna be good and then move on yeah so So could you bring in your own snare and set up on someone else's and I've done I've it. I've done that before. I've done it, and it, it's something usually breaks yeah. or falls. Or in is a that song. a tune? Or, or whatever, yeah. So if you had to fly yeah. to do a show, you'd bring your whole kit with you? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would, I would be backlining. Yeah, I would be backlining, but I would probably be spending some good time tuning. Yeah. Right. You right. know, fucking with it. Getting everything you know, adjusted just, the way you exactly. want. Exactly. I wouldn't trust some other guy. Because like, I, I was a drum tech at one point, so I used to set somebody's kit up. and it was I, the, I don't trust you, I could tell. It was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I had it down. sound like my wife. I, believe, I totally no, had it down. I believe you would, yeah. No, I think I think it's a, it's a muscle memory thing. You can get yeah. it set up pretty easily and you know but like i said it's just a foreign thing i don't feel like we'd ever get there i i mean randomly if we did that'd be great right. but you know some people just don't want anybody touching their gear yeah that's kind of i'm not I'm that at. protective it's, I, a, it's a trust thing. yeah it would take some time to be like okay cool you you could do it but like yeah most of these shows that we're going to oh we got a kid and like mm, no i know what kit you got yeah <laughs> it's yeah. not and my i got a niche <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What about um, stringing guitars? Um, he needs one. <laughs> <laughs> he needs someone to help him. I think I so, like, never change my strings. Someone so. that has battery. No, so I basically bottom line is is I always string up new strings before every show. Whatever, right, and I bought a new freaking Les Paul and it had never been played before so I'd start playing and I took it in mm-hmm. and have it re- There's, this thing's perfect so it took about literally like five months of playing this thing to where the, the thing had, 
and, it, and this is an old, it's not that old, but it's old enough to where somebody should have played the damn thing. Right. And I have a, I have a stack of Gibsons and that's my guitar and I've got, you know, some good stuff, but so it's like, man, this is my dream guitar. So it took about literally four or five, six months to, for this thing actually to, to like play the way I wanted it to play and took it to all these people that like, this thing's perfect. And I play pretty heavy and heavy strings and, Man, and it, that neck finally settled, so it, it sounds great, but I, I probably shouldn't have played it for five or six months. Um, but truthfully, um, yeah, two, I played, I played, you know, two different cabs, two different heads, 50, 50 watt tubes, and I have them dialed in. One goes through a bass cab, the other one's just a Ford Celestian cab, and it's just got that sound. So, well, it's that, one right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I only have one speaker left because Daikachu or whatever blew. I, I loaned them my cabinet. They blew all my speakers, but, oh. you know, not, no big deal. Totally but, worth so, it. So, but I'm, it's, I, even last Friday, I played with one in the Ford, you know, Celestian cab, and, it, and then I played through a custom uh, old school tuck and roll bass cab, and it gives it that, that bottom end. But yeah. if somebody doesn't, I, I've been playing like that for years through an AB box and it, it gives it that kind of a, a pretty good sound but if somebody didn't know what I was doing they would they would screw it up so I'm pretty you know all my I had to mark all my knobs and I'm being funny but if it's one little no, thing I, I, I can do hear, the yeah. same thing yeah. my amp if you look at my amp you can tell by different bands um, yeah. since in 77 had one marking yep. urine had another marking and then since then, I didn't use, well, I didn't use my Ibanez bass, and I didn't use distortion pedal. I used my PV Patriot, and it was a lot cleaner and just, you know, it had to be perfect. But then it also matters on the room. And as far Absolutely, as string, yeah. in my Ibanez, I, you know, I have EMGs, so I have to change out the battery every now and again. And if it starts to go, I can hear it. And it, for me... Someone could kind of set everything up. I mean, they can bring it in there and, and put a skull on my amp or something. Like, all right, cool. Now get <laughs> the fuck away. Because it's all, I have to feel the room. Yep. I want to hear it in sound check. I want to hear where everything's bouncing from. And it's maybe, I mean, I would like to have people do everything for me. But you know your sound and you know, you feel it. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And it depends on what band I'm in, too. And it also, I mean, there's things as you guys will both know this is, is, um, well, even with the drums, it, if you're in a dry area, if you're in the desert or if you're in a humid room, I mean, that's going to affect everything. If it's a really vast room with tall ceilings or a small cozy room, you know, you got to kind of, you're going to kind of mess with things. Yeah if, we're, it, yeah. if we're playing in the desert, then yeah, I'm bringing a thrasher kit, you know, one <laughs> yeah. that I, I don't, I won't have like you know, covers or bags for, you know, I'm just throwing it in a truck and going or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. The main kid I play, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I too could, much. I couldn't play through somebody else's rig ever. I mean, right. we, would, we would practice at a studio out in Santee for a while, and the guy had the killer set up, and it was it really was never my sound, but I, I dealt with it because we were, you know, it kind of worked, and he didn't want my stuff in there anyway, but and it worked, and even recording, sometimes they can try to get your sound sort of, but the last time we recorded, I, I went through my stuff, but I couldn't, I wouldn't feel comfortable playing live, going through somebody else's, even if it were the same 50-watt blah 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 my your sounds your sound right my sounds mm -hmm. my sounds yeah so, and we kind of perfected that sort of you know i can kind of read his mind on drums a lot uh, 
Brian's mind. So I, I kind of, you know, we just play off each other in, in the ping and the chops. And so, and that's how we write our, our music too. So it's pretty much goes hand in hand with the, that's your sound. Your sound's your sound, yeah, you know, yeah. you guys know, you, you know, but that's, that's for me, that's like, yeah. What about vocal wise? If you come in, can you hear when something's off in the band or someone's out of Mike tune? Stan, or? Mike Stan. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we, you know, we play all these local bars, right? So right. the sound systems are just, they're all over the place. You know, right, half right. the times the monitors don't work. Right. So I'm usually just flying by the seat of my pants. Yeah. And I'm just like, all right, uh, yeah, tonight sucks. I can barely hear shit. Yeah. Or, oh shit, I can fucking hear myself. That's fucking amazing. This yeah. is great. And then there's like. And that's the rare one. Yeah. <laughs> I can actually really hear myself. Oh yeah. That's fucking rare. Do you bring your own mic? I actually bring my own mic, but right. just not for a sound thing. It's just more of a, and not, I'm not like a germaphobe, but I'm like, I have a mic. I don't know if they're cleaning the shit. And anyone that's been a singer, you're spitting all over the fucking place. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> let me just read my own shit, you know, so I don't have to fucking deal with it. So I usually roll in with it in my back pocket and then it's set up and I just go, oh, here, you can have your mic. And he'll help us set up yeah. once in a while too. Yeah. He, when he feels helps. like it. Okay. Yeah. I'm like the roadie. Cause I got yeah. the easy job, right? I just have my mic. <laughs> what a sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> always helping. I, I, I always feel bad. I'm like, no, don't care. it. I got it. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he always helps. Yeah. I, I think this is a sign of age too, because <sighs> when, when I was younger, I wanted freaking people to do more and, help out and I always admired roadies coming in and setting everything up and then but then as the band started getting bigger and bigger and then you have a whole crew. This is one of the things I've never understand. It at the new Soma, someone like Smashing Pumpkins, they come in, granted their their sound guy and everyone, their crew, could probably do the whole set. But to me that just seems so far removed and that's when it got into a level where I'm like, well, this just doesn't I don't know if I would, could put up with this, but we would have, well, depending on who was coming through with who, you might not even see a band member until they go on stage because their crew will come set everything up. They do all the line when, when bands will bring in their own sound. So then there's like, you know, some new semi in the back of the club and I'm going, what the fuck is that? <laughs> oh, so they're bringing their own sound systems to their own monitor system. And then there are, you know, some lighting rig. Maybe not all of it comes into the club. There's no room for most of it. <laughs> yeah. And they're looking at the club going, wow, oh, yeah. this is it. Yeah, it was in the fucking rider, you piece of shit. You knew, <laughs> you know, oh, that's right. Your management didn't tell you, whatever. But, you know, I'm personally, I'm, I'm really, it's that DIY ethic. I got, I got to have my hand on everything. And that's the way that we would run our shows. Yeah, see, that, that was what was weird, too, is we'd, you know, local bands come in, you know, did their thing and then some of these local bands became huge and then they had their crew so it was just weird watching that transition yeah 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 speaking of metro sound system you could tell when uh, a different company came in yeah for a band i remember seeing uh randomly silver chair there yeah and that sound yeah. was awesome and i was like why can't it always sound like this in here i think that was her probably had their own sound i yeah. think so and i don't That's, think that was industrial yeah. but the industrial um industrial sound was our main sound company mm -hmm. and they did i think they did warp tour if, if i can remember that wasn't rat rat um, sound i don't know no i think they did oh god we seriously actually uh, industrial work for bad religion so i think they went out with bad religion yeah 
I can't think of a bad a bad sound show at Metro though, because I think most of them are pretty good. I saw um, yeah. Hole there, Sublime, pretty much. That was all industrial. Yeah, any anything in like the probably like ninety whenever Metro started ninety four was it? Yeah, late ninety four. Yeah, to like I don't know, probably ninety eight even. I was so ninety eight. Ninety eight was Rat. Oh, okay. We actually go when Golden Voice took it over. Rat came in. They installed a sound system because industrial. We had to load that in and load it out after every show. Oh shit! So it was a lot of work. That is a lot of work. Yeah. Yep. We built the sound every, pretty much on a Friday we built it, and on a Saturday midnight we had tear it down. So have have you been to the new Soma in, uh, at Sports Arena? Well, he's yeah, I was, I was he's the one, the one that built it. Oh, Him okay. and Scott so, so from the, um, Blink are the ones that built the. So, originally so the side stage at the new one is bigger than the main stage at metro right no no oh, pretty close no the side stage at the new one holds 500 the main stage at metro hill 1375 oh sheesh. wow so the, the new soma the main stage was 2500 damn yeah and what's crazy is now the new soma has been around longer than a union and metro put together wow so october of this year it hit its 20 year mark because we opened the new one October, um, I think it was like October 20th of, of uh, 2002. Okay. And our first show there was, the, our first main stage show, uh, the headliner was uh, The Vandals. <laughs> Fun show. With the uh, audio karate and uh, Tsunami Bomb. I can't remember what, lo- we had a local on there. Might have been Hornswoggle or somebody. Yeah, because I knew I didn't even show my face there. I was afraid of being run off until <laughs> um I I guess it was the Queen show. Yeah, you came for the when Queens. I came to see Queens of the Stone Age. And um I was nervous as hell until I seen Jerry was there and I'm like Okay. <laughs> because it just I saw it, your, we talked about I saw it before. your backstage pass on the refrigerator. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I kept that one. I've got that one, and we were talking about earlier, too. Megadeth made us wear... I had to wear a backstage pass at Metro for Megadeth, even though I'm really the only one that's supposed to be back there besides Len, but I had to wear a fucking pass because they didn't know who I was. Oh, wow. But, you know, hey... Was that Queen show before or after they played the Casbah? Because we saw him at the Casbah Queen. We saw him at the Casbah, and we also sat on top of my van and watched him at Tower Records right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Perform. Oh, wow. So I was wondering if that Tower Records show was before the Soma, the Soma show. or Do you remember who, uh, who opened? Or? No, they were just outside in the parking lot. There's one of those. Oh, you mean for the Casbah show who they opened for? Or who opened or for them? For them. I don't know. We just remember Nick Oliveri asking us for Coke, and that was like the highlight of the night. That was probably, to be honest with you, I think that was probably before they played Soma, uh, because that was a Casbah show that was at the new Soma. Um, What happened was that they sold way too many tickets, so they're like, hey, we got to make this a bigger show. Yeah, because I don't think that show wasn't near sold out, was it? Uh, It was probably half. Yeah, and I think the distillers open for them. Did we even yeah. have tickets? I felt like I didn't we... see them at the Soma. No, 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 no at the Casbah. Did we even have tickets I, for that? I don't know, but we got in. I thought we were just, after they had yeah. started. I thought they like, was... let us in because we were that, standing. That would have been, yeah. and now Nick's not in the band show. anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nick, oh, yeah. Nick was cool. Yeah, but you were from the Caius days. Yeah. Yes. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, Caius. Caius at Union. They, <clears throat> they're 
such a heavy influence that it was, it took me a while to accept the fact that someone could like take my, my favorite band of all time. Well, Venom and, but Black Sabbath, but they could do that sound and do it so well and do it punk rock in my sort of just their approach. The bass player, I forget his name, barefoot and just up there and just, I just, everything I see, I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. It was so brilliant. And it really took me a while to really get, understand the impact of each album. And now I'm just, I mean, I'm a sycophant for them. I, they're just absolutely amazing. And I've done music similar, um, but uh, the singer, I forget his name. If I could do a band with him, wow. <laughs> I, I, would, I would not even need a mic in front of me. Yeah. Because I just I would just sit back and play and watch them. <laughs> and that's that's really hard for me to not want to get up there and express my views about things cuz I I get in I just start dancing and I get my groove on and then I got to get in front of the mic. There's a comfort zone for me being on the bass with the mic up, you know, like this and <laughs> you know all over in my face and I can move it around with my nose or whatever. It's just there's a, a comfort zone for there. Um, when I used to just do vocals in bands, which we go back into the early short-lived days, it was because I wasn't confident to play an instrument. So, so you, you played with short-lived too? No, I I started managing. Well, we all it goes back to Wiener Schnitzel and ah, Santee Derwinies. This is gonna and, be a good um, story. Yep. So back in the day, um, so Dennis worked there. I was there. Um, I don't remember the twins, Dave, Davey. Um, so this is like 88. They started forming a band and they called it the oppressed. And so I did, um, I did the, the design and I was talking to Clint about this and it's just an eyeball and it said oppressed and I screen printed their first shirts. They, um, at some point quickly, as they started to come together with it, we're like, ah, now we're going to change their name. Oh, there was another band called The Oppressed. So they named it to Short Lived. So then I worked on our logo for that. And then um, another buddy of mine, John, came up and we kind of both did the logo. So I ended up just managing managing them, um, them and Struggle, who's Justin Pearson, who... There's not a project now that he doesn't do that. Just, you know, he did the Locusts. He's playing with um, Patton and Lombardo in a new band. Um, they did Struggle, and then there was a band, Missing Children, and it all stemmed from the ninth and out of the cave. So I was just kind of managing all these guys. Dictionary Hill, right? The ninth? Yeah. 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 So I yeah. grew up right down the street from those guys. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was, yeah that was like a crazy scene back then. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. To Eddie. Oh, yeah. You know, Eddie Vedderwitz yeah. show I up. I just know, I know who they are. I don't know them, but I, I, I grew up right at the bottom of the hill from that place. Kind of crazy. So that's, that place, um, who lived there was Ara, who was in the ninth. Era, who's spelled it R-A-R-A as well, but he was Era. So oh, crazy. And, um, um, Jamie lived there, and so he was a drummer. And then Chris lived somewhere else, and then Ken was married with Michelle, and they lived in OB. But, you know, they had the stage in their 
Yeah, it was they're, a total scene deal. Yeah. Man. yeah. So Eddie Vedder used to go there. Sam from Short Lived, one of the twins, told me about this a while back, and it's just this story I keep telling. But Eddie used to go there, I guess. And I was the one that he would want cigarettes and beer. And I was like, you know, don't let them in. Don't give them anything. It's the story is becoming boring at this point. But the ninth was so influential that that's kind of how I got my foot in the door at doing Soma. Crazy. So I was managing all these bands, but working with the ninth, just, you know, R and I were buds. And so Soma out of Wiener Schnitzel and that just kind of grew and I kind of stayed with Soma booking bands and booking whoever. I mean, I did Funeral Marches last show, um, which is still my wife and I would talk about that. That was one of her favorites. Um, you know, back in the day, there was Meat Wagon. Oh, yeah. RMSD. As a matter of fact, I was just talking with um, someone from Meat Wagon through Mike Spent the other day. Um, and so the bands back then, you know, Puzzle Box out of Ramona. Um, unwritten law, you know, that whole scene down there in the dungeon and all that is what that became my world. And then short lived. And then eventually John Cougar concentration camp, Dahmer's diner, um, all that scene kind of went their own other way. But, you know, um, I had, uh, what was that band? Blasphemy open up for the offspring and ill repute with the grim. And they were another El Cajon band. Sprung Monkey came out of, you know, El Cajon. So from 89 to about 91 is when we really started, started to get things going. That was a fun time. Oh, music man. For, yeah. Remember GBH playing? <laughs> yeah. That was the first show that Mike Nevison, the head of security, and I ran because Len was out of town. So Colin and I... Ended up, I gave him a Soma security shirt. He gave me a, a Japanese tour GBH shirt. And I was like, yeah, he fucking gets it. It's like soccer. You trade jerseys. <laughs> yeah. But out of that, there was bands. Um, God, there's so many great bands. Um, Sandy Duncan's Eye. I remember this. This was funny. So we're, we're leaving the show. I got the station wagon full of all the people. And we're heading home on uh, Pacific Highway. Because I lived at Silas's house with his mom. And I, I stayed in his room on a futon. And then the van pulls up next to us on Pacific Highway, and it's Sandy Duncan's eye. <laughs> and they have this, they threw me a t-shirt into my car, and it's a pink bear. And it's you know, like a teddy bear with a big pink cock that comes out. <laughs> and it just says Sandy Duncan's eye on it. That shirt, I don't know if I told you this, Jerry, but that, that shirt, I was doing telemarketing when we were in between Soma locations. And I was working with uh, Russo, Scott Russo from Unwritten Law. And he liked the shirt, and I kept fucking with him about it. So, I, you know, in between making phone calls, I got a teddy bear with a cuck. <laughs> and eventually, whoever was running kind of the, the, the call center is like, you're gone. You can't be going around talking about a teddy bear. And why I wore the shirt there, I don't know. Well, you know, I was doing Soma. Now I'm freaking cold calling people for insurance or something. <laughs> Magazine subscription. Yeah, yeah, it was something really stupid. So, but that that early scene is what really kind of molded because everything was so organic and kind of, it was just, it was being created as we did it. You know, there was no playbook. 
And as we talked about before, the one thing that I'm grateful for is Len let me kind of do it because the, the, the way that I book shows, the bands that I booked, how much talent I brought through those doors. And then, you know, if you played, you did really well with me, you play on the main stage with, you know, another bigger band. So just the amount of leeway and somehow being able to do it at that really shitty location was just brilliant. I'm, you know, fucking lucky, but that's where our scene, you know, started and, and stemmed from because the opposite of that was all the bars and they weren't really doing anything for local talent because the talent all came from, I mean, they were talented. You got everyone from John Reese and every project that he's ever done um, to, well, you know, you got to remember too, season San Diego law didn't allow kids to go to the bars yeah. 21 right. and up only. Yeah, unlike LA, where you know he could be sixteen and go to whiskey. Yeah, and then you know that's where the whole X on the hands and all that. But we tried to get a liquor license. Um, Len tried. It's a good thing it didn't happen because then (laughs) there wouldn't be no. Yeah, really wouldn't be a a younger scene. Yeah, and look at that younger scene that just blew up back in the nineties. Yeah. That was really yeah. the only outlet. We weren't thinking about generator shows and stuff like I was talking about oh, no, earlier. Someone like, would have to have a generator. And <laughs> well, if they had yeah. a generator, they're not going to bring out in the middle for a bunch yeah. of punk-ass kids. You know. Well, we did like house parties and stuff, but oh, that's yeah. such a limited audience. You're not inviting half of El Cajon to your house to come see no. two shitty bands and the, that and right. just started. Right. The other thing is, all the other venues were really small Yeah, compared to... Both. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Look, Velvet's one of them. Yeah. Casbah. But again, those are over twenty-one. Yeah. Joe and Andy's tiny. You had like Shay and and Soul Kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Soul Kitchen. World Beat Center, and then Showcase moved over here. Yeah. Showcase was Mirror Mesa, right? Uh, No, that was Epicenter. Epicenter. That's right. Yeah. I can never find that place. I was going to go to a show there, and then it's over by uh, right across the street from the high school, right? It's by the library. Yeah. 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 I found it eventually, but it's funny because uh, when Golden Voice uh, closed Metro in '99, uh, they wanted me to run the epicenter. Whoever was in charge of it, and I turned it down because I was going to Ozfest. And Pebs from Buckle Nine, he ended up running. Him and his wife back then started running the epicenter. So if you think about it, Germ, you've been like a content coordinator your whole life. You know, you got to yeah. think of Soma's the iPhone or a phone. Yeah. And then you're talking with the bands, loading them into the venue. Yeah. It was everything. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, many hats. Many hats. I, I, yeah. Well, the funny thing is when I really dive into everything that I was doing there, mind you, I was, I was like 21. Dude, think about it. We had, we had to do everything. Oh, uh, from cleaning? Loading in, loading the... Uh, Load in sound, sound. load in the bands. I had to contact security, cleaning, um, getting the stuff. Production was everything. Yeah, and well, and then on my end, I had all this homework. I had to go through all the tapes and and find out what bands would work with each other. And here's here's the one magical thing about booking bands back then: if you book the wrong band, then you're going to have a shit show, (laughs) and the vandals are going to call up and go. (laughs) <laughs> you fucked up so i had to like because you know back then there was some hard shit so i had to find the right bands if i wanted because i wanted everyone to have an opportunity to have an audience if you keep playing in front of the same your same crowd you're never going to grow as a band you're not going to grow musically 
And in my, you know, whatever hindsight, I thought, I want to really grow something here. And basically what I was doing was I was trying to find me a home because I didn't fit in anywhere. I'm just some stupid mohawk and freaking punk rock kid that still likes to ride a skateboard. I didn't have a car for the first years doing Soma. I didn't until Len forced me to finally get a car. And then it was Mike Nevison's car. And then that was so that I can start doing the flyer route. So I could do even more work because <laughs> God knows I didn't do enough. You know, so, but the whole idea of booking bands and then my, my buddy Silas and I would sit there and we would listen to stuff and I'd look at the crowds like, okay, well, this is Poway. This is South Bay. The Poway has, you know, some skin element. So let's kind of mellow it out with this band. And there's this whole science to everything that I was trying to do. And I got some pointers from Len, like, don't cost me money. Don't fuck <laughs> up. Don't do this and don't do that. But um, I learned things like, well, here's how you properly mop a floor. <laughs> here's how you properly sweep. You know, I didn't know these fucking things. I, I'll tell them how to mow a lawn. I wasn't, you know, I'm not going to get a lawn trimmer because I was just mowing lawns. I was, you know, I was a grunt. I didn't. And it all started because I wanted to do a compilation tape. And I just, the whole management thing and managing bands, I just, I got a little bit of cockiness from Wienerschnitzel where they tried to make me a manager. <laughs> and I had to wear a tie and a white shirt. I just told this to Clint. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to fucking wear a tie. So I, I denied it. Eventually, Chris Fields and I got fired the same day. So I just kind of faked it till I made it. And then, you know, I would do my bands. But I didn't really want to put myself out there and take a slot from someone else. So when Len asked me about doing the Fear Show, I'm like, well, you know, there's better bands, but fuck it, I want to do this one. <laughs> and my singers for that, this is funny because I haven't talked about this in a long time, but the two singers that were on stage, one was my girlfriend, the other one was my roommate. I gave Sage on a napkin. Okay, here's the basics. This is our set list. Six, seven songs or whatever. Basically, these lyrics, you'll hear me on, I'll, I'll let you know, and that's the chorus, just sing that. Otherwise, you know, just fucking, you know, flip people off, whatever. And I did the same thing to my girlfriend. They went up there so nervous, had no idea what the, and I did this with other female singers as well. Just just kind of watch me, you'll, you, you'll know the cues, you'll know the choruses. And then I just go up there and the fear show, I drank a couple 40s in my car before <laughs> going. And, I, you know, I had to open the club, had to clean the club. We had to load in. So by that time, I had a really quick amount of time from opening. I had about a half hour to go and sit in my car and drink a couple 40s. So I did. And I just went up there and you guys are ready. You girls are ready. Let's get it on. And they, that's it. There's no cues from me. There's no... If I'm on the ground, do not get too close. You're not going to want to be there. I'm going to give these fucking people a show. I guess Lee loved it. But, you know, as far as me, I couldn't be the performer and do all my jobs. It's like when I ended up leaving and Jerry had to take over at Metro because it wasn't really any freaking choice. It wasn't. I had to give Len all my information for all the bands. I gave him about half of them. And another thing, because I went through and I'm like, these bands aren't going to deal with them. 
and I'm not going to give him Greg Henson's personal phone number and and Keith Morris's phone number and and you know all these people they had management at that time and I didn't want I didn't want them. I was trying to protect people. They had booking agents at that time. Yeah. yeah, which you know back in my day it was like to get to get Keith to do Circle Jerks. I had to. I started with. Um, I talked to Greg Hudson. And I remember talking to him and, hey, you got to yeah, I'm just I'm playing, I think at that time, it was either Atari or Nintendo. I don't even know if Nintendo was out yet. And he was playing video games. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, you know, I'm trying to get, um, I'm, I want to get the Circle Jerks. Oh, we're not doing the Circle Jerks. Well, what about Bad Religion? Oh, we're not, you know, I don't know. Because I had to convince him what Soma was. And that they should play and not go and play for Tim mm. or Harlan or, you know, at that point, I don't even think Silva was involved, but so Silva was doing much bigger things, Bill Silva. And then he gave me Keith's number and then I talked to Keith for a while. And then he said, oh, I got this project called Bug Lamp. I said, okay, well, you know, let's, let's see if we'll, we'll make this work. And I probably got him for like 400 bucks. You know, I got the offspring for 200. Wow. So, you know, that's the way things were back then. But by the time I wasn't doing all that and then, you know, at Metro, I mean, that was a completely different world, especially Metro, as we were talking with Clint earlier, just the specs. And Jerry can talk more about this, but just in the neighborhood to keep to keep the club not being closed down, the whole neighborhood had to be cleaned. So when I had left, everything's now on Jerry's shoulders and, you know, it just... Yeah, you just tossed it on me. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go, a bucket of shit. Because I went, I, went I went from cleaning to doing some security to doorman and then Jeremy leaves and all of a sudden I'm managing the venue. So yeah. It's pretty, pretty crazy. Jumping, it, the, thrown yeah. in the fire, basically. I, I still, you know, that's probably why I was so depressed after leaving. But, I mean, I had no choice. I Lynn was doing these fucking raves, and there's, and to add that, there was so much corruption going on. So, it, it, yeah, I, again, dude, I'm sorry, but I had to get the fuck out of there, and well, I, I didn't have any choice. Guys. I successfully avoided the raves at Soma. Those yeah, things were, they weren't cheap either. No. Those were some hefty tickets yeah. back then. 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> For some glow sticks and a lot of pounding music in your brain. Yeah. I, I didn't see too many shows at um, the Union main floor. See, I, I think didn't... I saw Eka Mouse there. Yeah. I think I yeah. missed the Stone Temple Pilots video, video shoot. shoot. Thing. Yeah. 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 I heard about it probably like three years later. That was a long fucking later. day. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. And see, I was in the Navy, so I was gone most of the time. So I only saw like three shows at Union and then come back and then... Oh, Union's closed. I'm like, where the, where the hell am I going to go? And that's when all the good shows were in Tijuana at yeah. Iguana's. Oh, man. I saw a I saw Tool and this band called... Wood Pussy. It, was it Wood Pussy? Yeah. I always thought it was Mud Pussy. But no, it was Wood Pussy saw, on, the bil- on the top of that building. Yeah. It was, was, like, that it was called Mexitlan or something like that. Yeah, I the Mexitlan oh, Plaza. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I saw a guy punch a girl and then we didn't see the guy again. I'm yeah. pretty sure he died that day. Like got thrown off the top of the building. Something crazy. It was that was that, like those were the days when nuts. Tool was really good. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I think Opiate was out. 
Yeah, or, opiate was or out. Undertow was no, maybe just out. It was just getting ready yeah. to be put out. Yeah, and I was like, holy fuck. Because we were already listening to the opiate EP. Yep. I worked at Tower Records for a while. So, you know, you you get hired there and everybody's like, listen to this, listen to that. And like, at that time, I was like, I love Led Zeppelin and Santana. And then they're like, well, wait a minute. What about punk rock? And I'm like, ah, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and then they're like, here. And so I just, it was like college yeah, basically, like here, these are all the bands you need to to know to listen to. Here's San Diego band, like that was the tower was like the crux for me. Like, what tower did you work at? Uh, I worked at um, Sports Arena, okay, La Mesa, and La Jolla for a little bit. Like, I kind of bounced oh. around. I was a receiving clerk, but um, the the uh, bookkeeper there at the Sports Arena um, tower was married to Dion from Creedle. Okay. So he's now doing this band called 16, kind of doom, sludge, whatever. Yeah. And um, shout out to him because yeah. he, he was a big influence on me playing drums too because that was just really starting at that time. Yeah. I remember, uh, so her name was Jessica and she's like, have you ever heard of Rocket from the Crypt? And I'm like, no, but that's a cool name. Like, what's the, what are they all about? And then she's like, here's three CDs. Like she would walk the store with me and basically like, cherry pick all these killer bands and yeah. just here you go this is your homework so to speak and then uh you know she's like my husband and creedle whatever blah blah and i'm like yeah creedle whatever i ended up seeing them at the velvet fucking awesome and then uh i think i turned i was still 20 so i wasn't able to get into bars yet um but Creedle did Guns and Creedle. I don't know if you remember that. They played the full Appetite for Destruction oh, okay. at the Casbah. So I was okay. I was like the roadie. So oh, like yeah. I had a bandana on, like totally dressed the part, got a lanyard with a world Creedle, Guns and Creedle world tour kind of thing. Yeah. So the, super, super funny. The Just, prob- problem with us is like, like talking about some of these shows that happen at casbah or wherever we were stuck at soma yeah so we weren't we weren't going out and seeing any of these other shows we we're seeing what was happening at soma so that's yeah so th- that's a great point too because even like being in a band sometimes it's hard to like just get around to new music because we're we're jamming once or twice a week if we got a show we're sometimes jamming three times a week and then playing the show or two times and then playing the show so you know it, it, it's it's weird to like finally get back into being able to listen to music again without like having it be a thing, you know, like where you're like, I'm just so burned out on music, man. I don't want to hear anything. But yeah. like for you guys, you didn't even leave Soma really. And you no. probably missed a bunch of cool stuff unless it yeah. came through. You saw a lot of cool stuff too. But uh, it, it was, well, for me, realistically, whenever we were like, really in the club that's all i did i mean 24 7 i was always on call yeah and and you know i was working seven days a week sometimes i just go to the club to you know replace a toilet or paint one of the walls or whatever needed to be i mean literally whatever needed to be done within my scope put up masonite so that when the kids go by and they punch in the graffiti hall I'd hear a yipe and go, <laughs> you just tried to punch the wall, motherfucker. That's, <laughs> That's quarter-inch masonite, and I put it at the slick side out. Oh, shit. Because I knew the tricks, because I have to replace all this shit. Yeah. yeah. You know, but it was, you know, to be so encompassed, and then everything about, everything that I did, I would look through the reader and, and other things to try to find out. Yeah. And one of the reasons for actually starting this podcast is, for one, so I don't have to do a book, <laughs> but to tell the other story, because 
there was the bar story, you know, Rocket from the Crypt and Creedle and all those bands and that whole scene. And it was so huge and it just seemed larger than life whenever we would have one of those bands actually play for us. It was like, wow. You know, for me, I'm thinking these these are the guys, you know, like Fishwife. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and which is funny, we were just talking about Ryan. My wife had seen Ryan today and we still see him around here. Um, and then uh, what other bands were see, back then? Of, Sub Society. A lot of those bands wouldn't play Soma. Yeah. They were anti Soma. That's what I was thinking. Those it, two scenes kind of simultaneously. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. what's, what's weird was, yeah, a lot of those Casbolt bands got signed, but they didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Rust. Where all the Soma the bands I that got Rust. signed. Went yeah. places, you know. I think I saw Rust Platinum so Records, and it was a pretty low turnout. Yeah, and uh, that made it even more impacted. But we would, you know, Len would deal with them more. I would try to be like, "Look, you just got to do this and that," because I was that guy. Yeah. You know, I could talk to Daryl from Meat Wagon one way, but then when I'm talking to, you know, Maddie from Fishwife, Matt, it's it was different because I I looked up to him as they were just a different level. They were. You know, I was a punk rocker, and they were, you know, established. And now, if I see Matt, it's just, it's nothing. But I still, in a way, I still kind of do look up to those guys because I still feel like I'm that guy. And that's partially because of the way that I've just seen and kind of yeah. treated me. I, I feel that way, too. They were, all those bands were a huge inspiration on me. Like, yeah they made it to this level, but it was more so the music, but then, yeah, you watch the trajectory of them, like, oh, Casbah, Friday, Saturday night, two, two, like, Lucy's for Coat, any of those reunion shows, we were there. Yeah. We were watching Charlie ring his fucking shirt out on stage and just going, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, you know, and we were already playing at that time, and we're like, this is, we, this is why we gotta keep doing it. Like, yeah. they're doing it, other bands are doing it, but, uh, I, I don't think, I know for me, I don't know about these guys, but I'm still inspired by that 90s music scene that was in Hell San Diego. Yeah. Well, that was our yeah. scene. Well, that, yeah. Was, yeah. that, was, that yeah. was us. Well, exactly. it was such a cool thing, too. You mentioned being in the Navy, and I was in the Navy also. And one of the things I thought was such a trip, you know, you're talking about when you you know, you know meet someone, it's like, oh, you got to listen to this. You, the guys I met in the Navy, they didn't have, they didn't have any cool stuff. Because like, they're, they're all from the country oh, right, exactly <laughs> and it's like i'm like oh man i went and saw these guys i went and saw these guys and i was like and they had nothing to offer and it's like it gave me the feeling that we're from such a cool place that you could pretty much go any weekend there was at least four or five places you go and you're going to see something cool and it's still inspiring yeah. to this day well, for like, me it was like torture because i was under 21 and most of those bands were playing bars not soma yep. yeah but i still saw great shows at soma that's why i went there i was like well shit i can't hey, go there i got i'm gonna have to go here they yeah. were loyal to you to Tim and yeah. you know the Casbah or those scenes and they hated Soma. Yeah. yeah there's, there's, they just hated it. <clears throat> but I discovered Fishwife at Soma. Oh really? Yeah, the one downtown on Market Street. Yeah. I mean yeah. that's where Fishwife started as far as I could tell. I mean Yeah, see they started wait for me to be able to get that was like, okay. Yeah. This is you know, because there's also the other scene was um the UCSD scene. So anyone that played the Che yeah. was that more grittier, and then it turned into heroin and wine rock or whatever they are. <laughs> um, but the Triton, that's where, um, because of what I was doing with the bands and the ninth gave me some credibility. So like Sub Society, um, DDA ended up being my, he's a drummer, he ended up being my roommate for a while and did a lot of my piercings. Um 
and we still kind of talk every now and again, but there's sub society and I'm trying to remember a miniature, um, fluff. Yeah. Fluff back then. And inch eventually came out, you know, with stymie. And so that was a completely different crowd. Like I went to a private party. Um, let's see, Dave Smalley, Milo, and Scott all sang, doing all songs. And then I saw, um, that was, a, I don't know if that was a private party or not, but to be able to see all three of those guys doing, you know, all the songs was just like, what the fuck? This is incredible. But there was, um, what is that band? Um, uh, Jerry was a race car driver. Primus. That was, that was a private party. I don't remember if the other guys played in that, but seeing that there and just the scene there was so much different and it was different from anything I was trying to do at Soma. But that was in the early days where I still could kind of go out and I didn't really have my, my life set out to where I couldn't do anything other than Soma. And then, so I didn't really, I never really went to the Casbah back then, you know, um, I didn't really go to many bars, so that was kind of the idea of this is something that I kind of want to mimic. And then once we started getting our teeth in and really doing the scene down here, places like Soul Kitchen and then Ezod when he had his place over Show, here. Showcase. And um, so those places started opening up more and more to give the bands that I was working with a place to play. But the bar scene has always just kind of um, oh, my wife just got home, sent me a <laughs> message. Um, but you know, the scenes were they kind of would flow, but there's so much division, you yeah. know, still. But you got to admit, the bands that played the Caswell, the bands got the bigger shows. And I mean, he, Tim would have everyone come through that tiny little fucking place when they should have been playing. Either Union, you want to trip or, on, or trip on something? My first Casbah show was Alanis Morissette. What wow. jagged little pill tour at the with cor- Taylor Hawkins? The uh, Velvet, no, the Velvet at the, at the, the other, current, the, the current. Oh yeah. yeah, we went down to see wow. Smashing Pumpkins. At- we went down to see Smashing Pumpkins at the uh, Velvet down here. It, it was the old Casbah, and it was—I mean—that place was tiny. We couldn't yeah. get in. I stood there with John Revere, and and we could not get in. But nobody knew who the hell they were back then. Yeah. But it was—I mean. You know, the, the, the us's kind of knew who they were, but um, it's nuts, the whole, and, and then everybody just explodes, to your point. It's it's crazy, man. And they should have been playing, you know, the main stage at Soma oh, yeah, for yeah. a much bigger audience, but... Somehow. But even, you know, even like, the White Stripes played at the Casbah. Yeah. And then they got so big, they had to play, you know, Tem did them at the new Soma. Yeah. Because we, it, everybody, the promoters all kind of work together so like if they knew that they weren't gonna that they were gonna sell out and need a bigger crowd they would pr- do the show at soma like you had bill silva did shows there yeah you see a lot of casbah presents at other venues yeah fine, yeah. fine line fine yeah. line presents yeah so they all they all did shows at soma if it started it, it to be a finally show. work and then even like 91x was had done some things so we were you know by the time we got to Metro, we finally got the credibility to host these much bigger shows because we had everything in house and we ran, you know, they would bring some people in, but 
I mean, we, it was a tight fucking ship, you know, coming from military background. And that realistic, this is a funny thing. I brought this up before, but the reason why I even trusted Jerry to take any position in my head of working with me, because I would always kind of find where people, you know, their skills were at. But with a military background, because I don't have it, I, you know, I grew up at Selma for that's <laughs> on the streets and, you know, at Selma. But with his background, I thought, okay, he's got the discipline, and that's what we needed to have that place run, especially the more that Len would be gone. So I knew that Mike Nevison had basically the security, and if things weren't going the way that I liked, and if I was starting to get pissed about something, then Mike would know. And if I'm pissed about something, then there's there's something going on, because I, I stay in my own lane. Yeah, but, I'm but still Len, Len being gone there. is a good thing, right? Oh yeah, it was always good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I he, just remember just everybody talks shit about that guy. And, uh, and from to like be, day one, to be honest, yeah. like Metro, a lot of the shows Lynn wasn't there. We we ran those. So the ambiance between Union and Metro vastly different. How did you guys feel about that? Did you miss Union, or were you like, oh, well, Metro's like cleaner, nicer? Because uh, I only went, I only went to Union a couple times. I was actually afraid. You didn't work at Union. I never worked at Union, there. but that was a scary place. Yeah, no. So my dad used to actually stay with me in the dungeon shows, and he would get hit on by all these teenage kids, and he'd have like a leather jacket on and shit, and. Oh, I saw your dad at the show last weekend, you know, back at high school. Like, yeah, man, he's he's not going to leave me there. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm in yeah. a dungeon, so. Yeah, and then plus you had to be signed in. Yeah. But for like me. Chuck E. Cheese for this, degenerates. This is, yeah. <laughs> this, this is going to be the funny, the funny thing. So downtown, I was in my element. That, that was it. It didn't, the building didn't really scare me. Um, the cockroaches scared me. <laughs> I got sick of having to clean up the piss out front, but then I just, it, it just, that was my place. Everything about the place. When we were done with there and we knew that we were done. So Len and Ed Owen would go with me every now and again. When we're throwing shit up at the lights, three stories up to break basically everything in the building it was the best way for me realistically to realize this is the end of where I found a home. I'm going to fucking tear this place down. <laughs> I want it to burn. Now what the hell am I going to do with my life? And then we did the Scottish Rite Center and then we get the Metro and I wasn't even going to go to Metro. I was it had so much shit going on in my head. It was a really bad place. Um, homeless a couple more times. And um, just bad decisions over my choice of, of relationship. And there's two kids involved that were her kids. So here I can, I put myself in a position of trying to be a, a father and help these kids out. And I love this girl. And the girl is a freaking train wreck. And I wanted to still be there for the kids. Len made a nice threat that came very clear in my head. So I went back. And I should have just put on a suit and a tie and just sucked up. And I I hated Metro. I fucking hated Metro. That, but now I want you know we want the building. And, and see, I but loved, I hated it. I actually love Metro. I actually loved it better than the new Soma. Like the vibe, the vibe was different. It wasn't yeah. the same at at the sports arena location versus 
yeah. um, off Marina. And you, you and yeah. Scott built that place, which is, you know, but just wasn't, it didn't have the same yeah. vibe. Sports Arena yeah. is a lot cleaner. It's definitely not the same nostalgia that I remember from Metro and Union. And it just the bands mm-hmm. that played Metro, just crazy. Yeah. I mean, a lot of huge bands. I'm some some one hit wonders, you know. A lot of radio bands, and it just the whole vibe was different there than what it when it. Yeah. Well, not only that, uh, Lynn's attitude was different. He was married, and she was trying to book all the shows, and she didn't have a clue, mm. and it just it wasn't wasn't meshing. And and Lynn was under a, a ton of ton of stress, I'm sure. So, I just I had to walk out. I walked out and. June of 04. It was weird because Metro, when Metro closed down, it was because of a sewage issue and Sleater Kenny was playing. Mm. And the day I quit at at Sports Arena, Sleater Kenny was playing. (laughs) (laughs) The day I should have quit at Metro was the whole show yeah, when we like, had sewage problem, were you at that show? Oh yeah, I think it took Courtney what like over an hour to come yes. out. Yes, yeah. Ruka well, Salt open. I guess I scared her and, as well. And but Drew Drew Barrymore was backstage. I remember oh, yeah. her in the crowd actually hanging out. She was dating. She looked, she looked uh, like Eric, shit. The guitar. Player. Oh yeah. yeah. She just looked like a little pixie chick, she and looked, everyone's like, "Ooh, Drew Barrymore." I'm like, "Oh she looked, yeah." She was yeah. so she was, strung out that that show. Really? Yeah. Which so, one? Both or? <laughs> well, the, the, the main thing that I remember about the whole show I don't show remember is, Drew being at any is, other shows. I just remember that no, one. No, it's the only one. one. Yeah, that I remember. But, but um, I remember the, the women's bathroom overflowing, and guess who was cleaning that up? <laughs> I'm not even going to raise my hand because we're on podcast. Well, Metro had that longer hallway, too, right? Like it yeah. had kind of like an auxiliary hangout. It would, it would go around a merch, the, yeah. merch, the merch yeah. area, right. which was yeah, the yeah. side stage. So it would go around that to the bathrooms to the back where the soda bar was. And then there was two other ways to get onto the main floor. So yeah, he had that that graffiti hallway. Yeah, I remember that pretty vividly. What about the Scottish Rite shows? How many of those were there? I remember being at a Boston's show at the Scottish. Oh, that's show. right. They, they I forgot the about that one. Was yeah, that- I, I, I'm gonna have to look at my books. But by that time, my my books weren't as thorough. But I think we did two shows. Um, we had the Ghoul Spoon record release. Uh, right, and then there might there might have been three shows. I remember one. I was sick as a dog, and again it was like I felt because it wasn't there. It wasn't so the Boston's would probably headlined. Yeah, Ghoul Spoon yeah. was headlining their record release, yeah. and then you had Unwritten Law, I believe, headlined a Scottish Rite show. Okay, so there was three shows there. Yeah, and it just that. Yeah, that place was weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, it didn't all, you know, I come from punk rock. I come from black walls and, and you know, dirt and grit and just high energy. And then we get there and it's, you know, it's a Masonic temple. For one, you got to, you know, it's just a respect thing. Just straight up, you have to make sure you respect the, the venue. So for me, that just added so much more stress. Yeah, because you know whole... someone's gonna fuck something up. Oh yeah, <laughs> a hall full of kids it's, moshing. Yeah, it, when you get, you know, especially at that point, there was such a big scene from Poway that would come to the shows. So it just, just the tension and everything about it would would kind of um, 
It was just weird. It, it wasn't comfortable. I don't know where he went. And um, out front. <laughs> yeah, so you'll be able to hear it on the podcast. It's it's the ring. Anyone that's got a ring oh, yeah. knows that it's ring, but it's all good. Um, and uh, so God, I'm gonna have to find the. We've been trying to get from the reader all of our shows so we can actually have everything from day one. You know, but we can't find anyone. We can't, all the resources we've used, it doesn't pan out to anything. So it'd be really great. I think Zach from, well, now Smash Mouth. Right? What the heck? That is the weirdest thing. I I, yeah. was, I woke up one day and I was like, <laughs> am I in a fucking dream right now? Nightmare? <laughs> How does this even, why? I don't know. I don't want, good, great good for, for him. him. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Eventually. um but it's a weird, yeah, it's a weird trick. Well, eventually I'm going to be able to get the story. I've talked to him about it. And at first he was like, management, management won't let me do anything. But I said, you know, we got to, because Goolspoon's story of how they started with me is pretty incredible anyways. But um, that's another one, you know, going along those lines of, of now Zach singing for Smash Mouth. Now I've gone through so many resources to get a hold of Tom DeLong because I want Tom to come in. And I want to know the story because I mean, going from literally absolutely nothing to they're the biggest thing that's ever played and, you know, worked with me. And now they're huge. But again, it's, you know, management and people and. Yeah. Well, this reunion's got to be like, you know, I don't know what the generations before reunion would have been like the who yeah. maybe or. I mean, this is. Is it even going to be big or. You know, uh, let's see what these shows do. Yeah, they might not do anything. Well, the, the uh, ticket prices two hundred fifty for that's a, a ticket? lot. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I saw them with Skiba, and uh, it wasn't the same. Huh? No, no. Uh, you know, it wasn't. Uh, but I had I uh, did I ever see them before? I don't know if I ever saw them before. Oh, no, be you never saw them before. I have to look. If I did, it was probably Soma. Yeah, yeah. But, see, uh, I didn't even know about all the. I didn't know that Tom had left and all that. It just, you know. Well, it just, I, I got to get the story. He did a great uh, side project, Angels and Airwaves. Yeah. And yeah. had uh, and Rockets box, drummer. Boxcar racer. Yeah, boxcar was oh. really cool. Do you want to get the door? But um, yeah, I, I really dug, I think it's dug that. No, he's not ringing the door. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, that'll be a good get if you can get him out. Yeah, well, the story is incredible. You know the success story. Well, I got a I got a little blank story for you. Um, it's actually about bad religion. Um, bad, re- I think bad religion was not. They didn't have the audience that they wanted. You know, they wanted a bigger crowd, and they actually hit up Green Day to uh, go out open for Green Day. And Billy Joe's like, "There's no way we open for you guys. There's no way we're gonna you know out of respect, but at the same time, they were hurting bad religion." So Blink-182 took them out on their tour. And it actually boosted Bad Religion. They they gained a newer audience. So. I know. I thought that that happened because I, I, I was pretty much, I'm pretty sure I was at the show because you know how, I guess, Metro, they used to have, if you could bring 80 people to see you, then you got to open. I thought that whole thing happened because of Soma, like the story I had heard because I was there watching Blink 
And when they finally got the hundred people to be able to open up for bad religion, and then they open up for bad religion. Next thing I knew, they were going on the tour, on the on the road with them, and I was like, "What the hell's going on?" Next thing I know, this yeah. little band that I saw at this little place all of a sudden is on the road with yeah, my like, favorite band. I couldn't believe it. It's like uh, Pennywise took them to uh, Australia, and they just blew up huge in right. Australia. But yeah, there was there was a thing when they, I believe one of their shows, they brought thirteen people, and this would be at the end of Union. So again, I would have to look at my books, but so when I went back to Metro and I'm back to doing my own thing, so I'm booking a show again, and I tell Len, I said, I don't want to put Blink on the bill, and he lost his mind. He's like, why the fuck are you going to book them? They don't bring anyone. They didn't bring anyone last time, blah, blah, blah. And I go, no, but it's it's different, and I I don't remember. It doesn't really matter, but nonetheless, I argued my way into it, and I just booked them they're playing period they played and because of the fact that it was either right at the beginning of the school year or something um i did see something where tom had kind of glossed over it they flyered the hell out of it because i was telling them you know i teach each band how to promote themselves and again the stories you know it's out there i i've never really liked their music ever <laughs> to be completely honest as kids and because they were a local band. But then again, I can say that about probably 80% of what I booked, it was not my thing. I'm not booking you to play for me. If if you want to just go up there and do Venom covers, <laughs> fuck, I'll book you every night. No one's going to come. You know? <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> fuck, I'll do vocals. I'll pretend I'll dress up like Kronos. <laughs> fuck, I'm, I'm there. But it wasn't about me. So... You know, they promoted like fucking crazy. They went to the same school as my sister, or Tom did at least. I think, I don't remember if Scott did or not. They, they promoted. Pally, they, Pally High, right? Yeah, um, Pally High. Yeah, Pally High. And then, well, someone went to um, Skin Your Penis, Penis Skeetus, oh. Penis, Penis <laughs> Squeetus. Um, Sweetest. There you go. <laughs> I just say that because my mom, um, they ended up moving there. And when I was still able to live at home, and with her new husband, that was a promise. We're going to get this new house. And then I didn't realize that that was eventually going to be, well, I was 17. I was graduated. I was kicked out. And her husband hated me. But so <laughs> um, he's a piece of shit anyways. Fuck you, Dave. Totally. Um, he deserves a splinter in the dick. Oh, he does. Well, you know what? You know, you know, it's funny. You're talking about up my cock. You're talking about your sister going <laughs> to you know. school with one of the, the guys. Um, Mark's stepfather was in the Navy with me. Oh, oh wow. Shit. Yep. Yeah. Small world. Oh, small world. But, um, the, so the bottom line is they, they promoted like fucking crazy. They did their homework. They did what I suggested they do. They brought in a shit ton of people. Len lost his cookies. I think it was 153 people. If I remember correctly, because I got a dollar. No, each man would get a dollar per person. And I think that one somehow I made like maybe a hundred dollars for that night because I don't get paid Friday and Saturday night, but I worked all week, so you know I'm I'm making a couple hundred bucks if if it's really good for two days worth, well seven days worth of work, but it depends on the bands. Lance like okay there, and I think he actually told me that they're with me now, so. Find another band. I can I can swear that's what he said. Like they're with me now, so find another band. So you know I'm the stepping stool. 
and then you go up and you get the good shows with Len, and that's where you really get the exposure. But it was it worked, and that was proof in the pudding. And um, you know, I'm glad to be there at the fucking bottom. So I'm still at the bottom, and I want to talk to Tom, and I want to get his side of the story because I've heard that in the book. One of them really goes through the details. I've heard all these things. You know, it's like when you're thanked on an album. I'm thanked on God knows how many albums. Who reads that shit? <laughs> you know, <Anymore. laughs> you know. Well, first you got to get an album, but it doesn't really matter. So I just I want to sit and talk with them. I mean, I want I want the story. This is you know, I'm not a fan of their music. I've heard some stuff lately that I'm like, oh yeah. I, I get it. They matured as musicians. They're part of San Diego scene. We need to, you know, we need to all share the story. You guys definitely have a huge part of this history, the the pieces of the puzzle. It's a trip because obviously I've never really met you guys, but man, a lot of lineage and history with you guys, man. It's man. crazy. What a trip. Yeah. But you know, my ego is so big that I, I didn't even hear what you just said. I just, I'll put my hand out and I'll expect a credit card. <laughs> but see, it's, it's, it's all part of it. And realistically, you know, is, is we're trying to push this and get the podcast going. It's our stories are one thing. I mean, I could sit here and I could tell the same story. Tom blue in the face, but it's, it's other people's stories and how they're, it's, that's what I care about. That's what I've always cared about, you well, know, because I was, it's... I was going to actually ask everybody, did did it, all of you guys go to Union? Did you got all see shows over there? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah? Uh, no. no. I almost did. I had heard that it was cool. And it was so funny. I was first in the Navy, so I wasn't 21 yet. And we were wandering out downtown trying to find it, me and my buddy. And this guy is like, homeless guy is like, if you give me five bucks, I'll tell you. So we gave him five bucks. And he, he sent us to Cafe Sevilla. Oh, <laughs> and I was down there, and there was flamenco dancing and stuff. And I was like, this can't be the what a So what show were you, you trying to get no, to? No, I was just trying to go. I, you know, I was new, so I was just trying to go somewhere where I, we could see some bands. And then uh, we found out that they had moved. Actually, I think I might have been a little bit late, so they had moved. That was like mid uh, or early 94. Yeah. You're right. So... But then uh, the scariest moment of my life was at the Soma Metro when Corn played. I had never been in an area that was so packed full of people where the pit was the entire building. Like, uh, and I had right. heard them, and I didn't really know how big they were. And we were there, and I was like, "Oh my god, there's a lot of people was that, here." Were they headlining that? Yeah, show? was that the one with the all the dolls on the? No, it was before that. It was like they were, they were still pretty new, and I didn't know that there was going to be that many people who knew where they were. And so every place I had been up to that point had only been these little small isolated pits. But when they, they are you ready? The, the entire place was just boom, 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 and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" There's a the day I got out of the Navy was uh, we're doing a, a corn show and it was with Limp Bizkit opening at Metro. Okay, and yeah, that was not the one. <clears throat> I thought, what, yeah, I it thought was probably corn. raining, right? Because <laughs> whenever fucking Jonathan would come down, this is a long time joke and it's it's boring, Jerry. At this point, I'm sure, <laughs> but we were sitting out back because when they used to play like Dream Street and they played with like Gold Spoon and stuff. So when they really started to get big. They play the side stage. And, and um, it would be raining so many times when they play. So I just told him, I go, you guys brought the rain. It's because you're from L.A. 
Bakersfield. I know, but still, I just because I'm playing everything on L.A. Because I still to this day I say you always say that L.A. San Diego's, um, you know, the bastard child of L.A. As far as a scene, you know, but it just I I think it's so freaking hilarious. And he just looked at me like, "What? What are you talking about?" But that was you know that was my wit. And back then, you know, before everything started getting really big. I would have time to be able to talk with bands because, you know, you're just creating personal relationships and you try to, you know, people come to your house and they kind of want to, you know, get to know what's going on. And once bands start getting bigger and they're being kind of pigeonholed into what they need to do at each show, it starts to lose a lot of that stuff. So me being in the back the whole freaking time, because I just stayed backstage and I ran everything from back there. I didn't have to go up front. Jerry's up front. Mike's up front. Um, I, you know, I just sit back there and talk with people. There's nights where if it's a side stage, I'm just out in the back by myself, just pacing the, the parking lot and just orchestrating things as things going on. I spent a lot of lonely nights just in my head back there. <laughs> you know, you mentioned being at the bottom, you like the bottom, the bottom is probably the best place to be in music because you're going to meet everybody yep when they go up and they come down. right they're they're yeah. going to go up stay there or you know yeah. go well, away. everyone <laughs> comes back down at some point they either get burnt out or they just want to get back to their roots yeah i'd like to say we were like a pretty good secret you know some people know us you've got a little bit of name recognition especially yeah. now these last couple of years after after covid but not not like what it could have been in the 90s you know, if we were doing this yeah, in, in but, the same you know. trajectory that we are now. But, you know, we're meeting a lot of cool people, too. Like, a lot of it's networking now. Zop got recognized at Petco Park. You got recognized. <laughs> uh, I got recognized twice. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, too, is you guys are on the, the come up now. And there's so many other bands right now that are, are moving. There's more bands being formed. That's true. I mean, I'm I'm in the middle of figuring out which one project's going to play out first and, you know, when we're actually going to get a little bit more serious. Yeah. And it's, you know, everyone's antsy and they want to, they want to get out there again. I think but you I, guys already got the, you know, it's, it's down. You've got John is already on his radar. Yeah. I've, I've got you guys on the Magnol kids Yeah, on their radar. You're doing all the right things and the music and the shows are what is carrying it. Yeah, so there would be nothing else without it. But and it's, I mean, that's a lot more than you know a lot of other bands right now. It, there's bands that have a lot of talent and they look good. Yeah, you know, but there's there's when there's you know when a band has it, it shows on stage, and then that you know that's better than yeah. anything. Word of mouth is the best way to get it going. I think we all agree that yeah, we we don't want to just put out music to put it out. When you right. guys, to me, when I saw yeah. you guys at at the brewery, uh, you guys, you guys were the best band there. Stage nice. presence, everything. Nice. Appreciate like, it. Boom. Yeah. Like I said punch. But well, I, I like, was smiling, damn. and I don't, I don't smile around crowd. I'm the the head down. I'm focused. I'm doing my thing. You know, just like at the club. You guys are. I'm just like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm showing the soft side. I'm vulnerable, <laughs> but it can't help it. I mean, you know. Good music does it. Yeah. So yeah. Thanks. So that's but, why I appreciate having you guys come here and sit well, we with thank us. you. You know, yeah, thank you. It's stuff like this that helps pat 
our butt a little further. That's not yeah. so much, you know, our music and, you know, playing at a bar. So you well, know, we well, definitely yeah. appreciate a it. A little promotion. Yeah. yeah do we have definitely. another song queued up that we can play before we um, start doing some salutations? And then, you know, of course, we got to promote whatever's coming up. This probably will not be published for a couple months. So it's just whatever sites, wherever you want people to go to find out about music and, I mean, any last comments? Any anything? Just thanks again. This is great. You it's know? cool. Yeah. It's the, our paths have crossed so many times over the past thirty years. It's yeah. a trip. Just everything you guys are talking about. You know, the old soma. You know, dance macabre, king mother, and all these different yeah. things. That, you know, just from back in the day. But we all kind of followed a similar pathway. So, because I'm I'm the same age as you guys. So yeah, you know, we all we all are. So well, it, that goes back to. Um, I was remembering when I first moved out to Santee because I was talking about with Clint when he moved out there. So there's Brian from originally Oslon, now Psychotic Waltz. He lived in the same complex as where my dad did. And I had my dad had got an overcab, um, which I'm going to call it a camper that he put in his garage. So when I moved out to Santee to get clean and get my shit together, that was my place in his garage. His, you know, but I wasn't homeless at that point, so I was pretty freaking stoked. But so, uh, buddy worked at Trip West, and that's where I would go and get records. Get my ticket, my tickets there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if you wanted to, you can go in the back and you can get some baggies and maybe a bong or a pipe. <laughs> Nice. You know, and then there's the Tower Records out there, and that's where Gary Scheffler, or Scheffler, I forget, he worked there. And then um, Brian Pollard, who was heavy into the goth scene and is still around. We're friends on Facebook, so, you know, that means that I can see his stuff. And if we try to talk, then it might take a month or so. But, you know, he was another huge thing that influenced me in the early days. And, Brian Pollard and, and Gary and, and Buddy and, and Oslon. And then um, that metal scene, because it wasn't really a punk scene back then in Santee. And we slowly started doing it and creating it out of Wiener Schnitzel, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, then that turned into the, the Shady Lane apartment was short lived. And then it turned into the short lived house. The band and the, the scene and how many lives have been yeah. touched. And again, you know, I can't reiterate this enough, but the stories need to be told because we're all one and we're all part yeah. of this scene. Yep. And it's just, it's time for bands like you guys to be seen and nice. recognized. Yeah. And, Thank you. You know, coming well, I was actually going to ask, ask them, like, what was your favorite show at either of the Somas that you guys yeah. remember that stands out? I mean, I know for me, I, gosh, I... I don't know if I had a favorite. I like it because it, it was like an outlet. I'm a kid. I can't go to a bar. I yeah. I can maybe go fish at Tony's Beer of the Worlds on Voltaire and maybe get a forty <laughs> for two dollars and fifty cents when it was a dollar eighty at the store down the street. Yeah. But they're gonna card me at the store down the street. So, you know, it was just more of an outlet. You know, just like surfing and skating, growing up in OB. Because a lot of the bands yeah. that were playing, you didn't really know. So you're just well, like, no, like, yeah, I'm gonna I, go check these these guys out I yeah I, well that, that would be more of the local bands that were opening up for some of the national acts which i i mean we had a friend uh trevor 
he was in Turkey Mallet. Oh yeah. So yeah. I mean, I, 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 and he was another inspiration. He was a great drummer. I think he's up in LA now with his brother doing some, a couple other bands. I can't remember their names, but, um, you know, we've re- reconnected on Facebook and stuff like that. Well, well tell him I says hello. Not Trevor, but his brother. Um, cause I don't think Trevor's on there, but he was good friends with a friend of mine, but I just remember being at his house one day, like, yeah, I'm in the ska band called Turkey Mallet. We're yeah. playing, blah, blah, I'm like, I'll come check you out. And I think we saw him at Soul Kitchen and it blew Probably, my fucking yeah, mind. I yeah. was like, wow, that guy's fucking great at drums and he's my age. Like, why am yeah. I not doing this? Yeah, but, a, lot of, yeah. a lot of people have high praise for uh, Turkey Mallet. Yeah, they were, yeah. that, I don't know, it was like Cairo Skiro, that album that they put out. It was great. I listened to it like, I don't know, two months ago and I was like, fuck, still great in the ska world, you know? Yeah. Um. But as far as Soma shows, I mean, all the dungeon shows, that was like, that was the equivalent of surfing and skating for me. It's like, I'm going to go in that pit. I'm going to get all sweaty. I'm going to try not to hit the fucking concrete pylon that everybody's, <laughs> you know, trying to make and it I, in between. I never and, got to go to a single dungeon. Show. Yeah, that's, it was, you know, it was dangerous, but it was like, you're a kid and you have no sense of this kind of, I think I was probably like 14, maybe 15 and whatever yeah, you know yeah. the only time i'd been in the dungeon was when it was being used and i've said this before in another podcast but it was being used as the dressing room and i just got back from desert storm and went down there with a, another navy buddy and hung out with kevin seconds because seven seconds was playing yeah. <laughs> nice yeah as far as and, men, then, yeah. and then lynn like came down with with i think misa at the time came down who the fuck are these guys in here oh, what Get them out, get them out. And Kevin's like, oh no, these guys are cool, cool. Let them hang. Nice. <laughs> nice. I think the whole show was pretty rad at Metro from what I remember, even having to wait like a while because, you know, Courtney was just a mess. She was like tripping because that wasn't long after Cobain killed himself. Right. I, right. Okay. I wasn't it was sure only, if it was, it was before only like after. six months. Yeah. Maybe that's wasn't why. That, that long after. Maybe that's why it yeah. took her a while to get out. But I just remember she. It was just so great. She had her foot on the fucking monitor. She just still was owning it. And it was like, Oh fuck yeah! This is like so. I remember that one pretty vividly, but I think I saw like Sublime and I want to say No Doubt played there too. Yep. Sublime. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They played together. And I love Sublime. Like one of the first bands I was in when I lived on Bacon Street, and we did instrumental funk, punk, and reggae, and we'd have people come up and freestyle rap in our living room. We just played in our living room. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, like DJ Unite, he he was our guitar player, and then a buddy of mine from high school named Citron. We lived in the house and mm-hmm. then, you know, that's what we did. We just did house parties. Yeah. So we'd run into the slightly guys sometimes at yeah. house parties, eh, you know, whatever. And I, I saw them at many house parties just growing up. We went to the same high school and, uh, you know, just so, you know, having that Soma as a, as another outlet, you know, above and beyond just my own living room was great. Yeah. But, um, yeah, man, I don't know. There's just so many good times that I remember from there. But I also yeah. remember going, oh man, we got to go to fucking Soma. But then it was always great, you know? <laughs> yeah. so. Isn't there another fucking place? Well, it was more so because we're like, fuck, we're not 21. So yeah. I, we're going to go there. Yeah. You know? So it was like, yeah, a little hemming and hawing maybe sometimes, but it was and, always and then a good you, time. And then as yeah. you got older, you actually, now thinking back, you're like, yeah, Soma was actually pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. There was no other place. I mean, other than Soul Kitchen, but that wasn't in our neighborhood. I mean, you know, Metro was right across from OB pretty much. Yeah. You know, and then the union days, I, that was different. I, you have to get a ride there, but so the accessibility of it was, was great. But yeah, I, I think a lot of it for me, you know, at least the Hemin and Han was like, man, it's like an extra step for the outlet. You know, 
I don't, I, I can't just walk out my front door and, ah, like I feel better. You know, I got to make this short travel to fucking Bay Park. It's funny because like <laughs> but before I worked there, I was going to the shows there and I never went to the bar shows. I always went to Soma, slammed 240s in the parking lot, <laughs> went in there, got in the pit, got all crazy. Hell yeah, it was, yeah. It was raging. Well, I think so, you know, like getting back to the story of me working at Tower, that that was it. Like once I started becoming more keyed into these local San Diego bands that I loved and I'm, they're playing at the Casbah or some other 21 and up place. And I'm like, fuck, I can't go there. guess, you know, going to have to go to Soma. But it, like I said, it was always a good time. Yeah. You know, once you just get in there and just, you know, fucking shed off whatever bullshit you got to shed off to you know, get back to normal and then go from there, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I liked it, but yep. you know, any, any That's shows cool. for you? The old, the old Soma was where I used to go see just the dirtiest local bands. That was pretty much it. So nothing too crazy at the other ones, but yeah, the union one for me, it was always Fishwife. I saw sprung monkey there, fudge house, trunk baby. Yeah. Um, Mike. Yeah, that was, for me, that was the best. We'd just pull out, pull up. There'd be the bums. would be, you know, they, now we have homeless everywhere. But back then, That's where they only had out. some yeah. homeless. And yeah. they happened to be right outside. Yeah. And you'd park and you would have a 40 of Mickey's or whatever, like you would say. And uh, we would give them a couple bucks and say, watch our car. Like they're really going to watch it. I don't know. But yeah. But those are the bands that I uh, liked the most there, yeah. for sure. And mine was, I kind of mentioned the, the corn show, but the most, so not only that pit situation, but then after them came on this band that I had never heard of called KMFDM. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. And I, that was the first time that just sonically, I almost puked. Like their, their kick drum was so loud and so I was like, brrr, I was like, I almost ralphed. And I will <laughs> never down, forget down that. Down on the ground with the subs. Right. It like, was insane. I was like, this sound is going to make me barf. <laughs> That was my first experience with that. So I had That's two right. two firsts at there at that show. <laughs> Bowel movement causing music. <laughs> I, I will never listen to them again. That well, remember. maybe as I get older, I'll have to. <laughs> fiber. That's right. be fiber. See, I remember corn opening for three eleven there. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have gone to that. I think I thought. I think I was at that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, I was a pretty big three eleven fan, and I yeah. I remember when that corn album hit. Are you ready? I was like, oh shit! It was like, what's this? Yeah, <laughs> that whole sound was different because yeah, it yeah. wasn't even called new metal at the time. I don't right. think the yeah. only only reason I even got into it, I was reading this magazine. Is like, did you ever hear that rumor about Les Claypool trying out for Metallica? Well, this is what that would have sounded like. And I was like, that's interesting. I'll order it right now. <laughs> shit, you had to order yeah. it. <laughs> I, mean, I was I was in the oh, middle of the, the Gulf. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then those early Deftone shows, like on the side stage, where went off. Too. I, I oh, believe yeah. I saw Deftones there yeah. too. I don't remember if it was Cider. Chino jumping into the floor monitors. Yeah. And just crazy. I don't remember if it was Side or Main though. I can't. A lot of this stuff. I have ticket stubs in a box somewhere. I meant to pull them out before I came to kind of like go. Yeah, here we go. Here right, we go. Right. I, I got proof. Yeah. <laughs> well, back when you could have proof. Yeah. Because yeah, the uh, Deftones opened on the main stage for um, Anthrax. Oh shit! Okay, I didn't yeah. go to that show then. It would have been a side stage. It was a. Probably. It was a. I think it was Cannibal Corpse, Anthrax, <laughs> Life of Agony, and Deftones. Oh, shit. Wow. Yeah. I wonder if the Deftones show I went to had a 
Orange nine millimeter playing too. That maybe? was a side stage. Yeah, that, I think that was. Yep, man, that was a memory on this. Yep, game. yeah. I just <laughs> that was a good show. That. Yeah, I still. That's have the that. one that I was talking about with Chino jumping into the. Yeah, then I was there. I don't remember that. Oh, and then Deftones. <laughs> Deftones uh, headlined a side stage show. It was uh, actually no, they opened. It was Downset, Deftones, and Far on mm. the side stage. That, that was a good show too. too. Yeah. I mean, you know, like that was the thing. Check the reader. What shows are coming? You know, you go through the whole thing and. Yeah, I mean now now you know the kids don't have that. You know what's funny about Deftones? They have a whole new following now of the like my daughter. You ever heard of Deftones, Dad? I'm like, yeah, I've seen them. What you've seen them? Like freaking the fuck out. What about this CD, White Pony, or you know this album? Yeah, I have it. It's over in the box in the friggin' attic. You know, you want me to fish it out for you or whatever? You know, so it's it's kind of interesting. They have it's. I think they got a younger following, kind of re, a resurgence of this like teen following it's so weird because like all her friends know about it she knew about it it's was so weird and they were all like tripping out you've seen them before i'm like they're not a new band <laughs> yeah. have you done any research on this so <laughs> look, gotta, look at when they started back in 94 or even earlier than I, that yeah i want to say it was like probably yeah. started in 91 or something something like that yeah um <laughs> Sac- sacramento band <laughs> yeah <laughs> You mean LA? Because <laughs> actually, the actually the first show I worked at Soma was the Bad Brains when HR didn't show up. I was at that and one too. And then Deftones opened that. Yeah. Chino actually came out and, and did the HR parts. You know, I'm going to say something very unpopular right now, but they got to get HR off a of stage. Oh, yeah. I, it's not right. I, I, it's not right. Yeah, he's doing like yeah. reggae shows now, and I saw some live footage at the holding company. And again, this might be very unpopular for a lot of people out there. I know he probably needs to make a living, but it was. Yeah. yeah. So, what's weird is back, I think it was 94, I went to the belly up to see HR do his reggae, and Sublime opened. And HR ended up doing bad brains with the with all these white guys. And I'm like, what the hell? So it was it was pretty trippy, but it, you know it wasn't bad brains. Yeah, right. Yeah, it, the show when he didn't show up is when I knew that we're dealing with like some serious problems. I, there's some insight. Oh, Jay from Spazboy, I believe had some stories about it. Well, Jay and I went over to the old Soma, the original, right? Thinking HR went over there, yeah. and we had to wait over there for a bit. Oh God! So then. That night, for me, I got to talk with Dr. No, which was, you know, oh, my God, I'm with this legend. But we're talking because we're trying to figure out where the hell HR is. And the thing, you know, the whole club is waiting for HR. And he's just freaking loopy. Didn't he? I there's some faint memories of him actually coming there. Um. Maybe well, he, getting he, in he a, did a fight he, or he did a solo thing. Him and Angelo from Fishbone. Well, they, he did. They played, um, they played a thing later on, but he never came there before that. He played, um, and that was that was at Metro. He did play Union. He did that was God of Love, the God God of Love tour. Yeah, um, for the one he missed. That was when they just got signed to Maverick. That's why the Deftones were opening because they oh, were also God. label mates. Yeah, it just, I mean, that's when you could see that he's, he's losing it, you know, his, he's I've, just rattled. I've, it's I've sad. hung out with him and yeah, he's, he's pretty out there. Yeah. I mean, I've hung out with some wacky people, but 
There's a good documentary <laughs> about that whole his whole uh, the whole documentary on issue. that brain. So it. There, you seen there's that, one? that. Yeah, that one's really good. I think they touch but on. There's finding HR. I think that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the one that yeah. I think they go through the maybe the medication that he's supposed to be on and wasn't on, and yeah, kind of. It's more. It, it seemed like a sad story, but I. Yeah. He just did play the holding company. I want to say maybe a year ago, and that's the footage I saw. And I was like, he just stood there, didn't sing. It was yeah, it was a whole lot of standing there, and then I think he'd come up to the mic a little bit. And I'm watching this like a live stream from one of the maybe the promoters or something on Facebook, just going, I want to say like this this is messed up, but I know I'm gonna just get completely fucked, <laughs> you know, right. by everybody else. It's like this is rad, and I'm like. If you've ever seen any bad brains, you know this is not right. <laughs> like you know this is like a bummer, like a oh, really oh, bad bummer. Down. Yeah, like and 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 it not that he's not singing. I mean, he has legitimate issues. But uh, just as a fan of his, I was like, if I would, if he was in his right mind, he would not be there. If he, you know, couldn't perform in in the right. capacity. I'm not saying he has to perform in the capacity of of all of his years in bad brains. But I'm just talking about like performing in general. Just sing. Get up to the mic. He don't have to jump around. Yeah, exactly. Or any of that stuff. So he would like, he was kind of, kind of hanging in the back by the drum set, and then he'd kind of saunter up a little bit, and he, I think he'd say a little bit, and then he'd go back, and the yeah. guys are still playing, and they're like, "Fuck, we're playing. We got to play. Otherwise, we're just looking like shitheads up." Here. And the thing yeah. that sucks for them is they probably didn't get. They probably lost their guarantee. I have no idea that I think the place was packed, but it was not a good show. No, from what I saw. Well, maybe they didn't, because uh, they lost their guarantee when they played Soma because yeah. HR never showed up. But yet, all the other bands played. Yeah. Well, I think they and and Bad Brains played. They played a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I remember that going on. Oh, man, they got to just do. It, they're doing it was, something. It was yeah. Chino singing a couple songs, and then Damien from Daddy Longlegs went up there and didn't uh, stymie. No, sing a couple or no. It was just it was Damien and uh, Chino, and that was it. I don't even remember. I just didn't remember they, thinking and, and, this is gonna not go over well. And both of the guys did an awesome job. It, yeah, it, the songs went off. I don't remember them singing, but I just remember like the band playing, no vocals, and just like going, "Oh fuck, this guy's really not showing up. That sucks." Yeah. I was like, "This bad, is whole all over." Bad brains <laughs> and ins- instrumental. Yeah, it's well. I was telling a story about Flipper where they didn't want to go on. I won't go through all the details again, Boris, but that was the first time where it's like the show needs to go on and there's one person that's holding it all back. But there's a whole venue full of people that want their money's worth. And that's the first time I was like, this is not going to go over well. But at Metro with the size of the audience there, it's like, Oh, this really isn't going to go over well. Because that almost happened with Hole. Yeah. yeah. It came on an hour. It late. was getting loud. I remember I was like, oh, fuck, this well, shit's going to go down. The arrows on the ground, there was three of them. There probably should have been four because you have to come out of the, the green room, make a right, and then another right, and go onto the stage. And she couldn't figure that out. <laughs> she was so fucking brain dead. She was so out of her mind. But, you know, the. um. The Bad Brain show that, you know, when something like that happens, my main thing is getting everyone out and having it not fire extinguishers going off, not a vandals situation. I want the equipment to stay there. And then for me, I don't want to come there the next day and clean up on the outside all the damage, you know, because 
you know, we only had like it, maybe two it, shows that were like riots on the side stage. Yeah, I think one was Mill and Colin, and maybe the other one might have been AFI. Yeah, where, I don't where remember it just all the crowd went on the stage and was grabbing stuff and <laughs> yeah, and then you know, for the most part, we had a good amount of uh, security to deal with all that. And the scene, because I think because of our reputation, didn't go the vandals route. And I'll just use that as an explanation. But there was times where. You know, things would just kind of get a little kind of crazy, and you can you can almost smell the the craziness in the air. <laughs> but that makes for a great show. Oh yeah. You know, me as a performer, it's because my thing with the bass and why I use so much distortion and everything is, I would tell people that I'm basically trying to cause bowel movements. <laughs> you know, I want to make people feel really, really. I want them to feel the music. So if I'm doing the heavy droney this is going to rip your spine out music i want them to have that feeling and to be able to get that electricity and that buzz for whatever it is that you're doing that's when a show is popping like you know like a circle jerk show and keith's just doing his thing and everyone in there's eyes on keith Maybe a couple of people look at Xander and then over, you know, who's, who's, who's that? Oh, that's Greg. But you're looking at him because you just want to see what he's going to do. And then that, you know, that creates such a, a great, great show. And that's what we didn't get was HR. Because if he would have done that show, man, it would have just gone off. But in hindsight, it could have been even worse. He could have gone off or he could have gone up there and did one of his things where he just stands there and it's like, hello. And then starts doing his preaching because yeah. I've seen a video where he's done that. Where he does his laugh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then starts, you know, talking to the voices in his head. You know, but we survived and we're sitting here talking about it. So it's actually all a good thing. Rock and roll. Mm hmm. Do we have a song queued up for the what song did you guys want me to play? Let out? down. Let down. I think he only yeah. has the. I only have the, a three. Oh, you do? Yeah. yeah. Probably Uno then, right? Yeah. You can do Uno. Okay. And then again, just a refresher: where can people find the music? Uh, we're on Instagram, Apple uh, at oh the music. Yeah, you can find that Apple, Spotify, Deezer. I think. Okay. At whatever and, band, and camp. band camp. Band camp. Uh, okay. Yeah, we still have our our first two albums still up on Bandcamp, but we haven't uh, gone fully digital with those yet. Okay, cool. Yeah, Instagram, it's uh, at the underscore Calvin619. Uh, Facebook is just the Calvins, or I think the Calvins rock. One of those. One of those. But it's basically the yeah. Calvins. And, yeah. you know, the yeah. logo, you see the logo when you know it's you guys. Yeah, right. there's going to be some sort of something on there. Some skulls, maybe, or... <laughs> yeah, something. Well, actually, yeah. Our, face, <laughs> our Facebook is... Uh, a band photo. Yeah. Uh, he'll, uh, Paul will be right out front and you'll see Don and I think all of us are in it, but uh, that's some of the social media stuff that I've seen is what really gets me every time. It's just the minute I see the skull, yeah. then Frankenstein, I know all that fun you know? imagery. That's what I love about it. Like what kind of imagery are we going to put with this? And it may not always kind of go with our music, but, right. but it's like, this is shit that I liked growing up and then I like to get their input too but sometimes they don't give a shit so I'm like alright I'm gonna fucking do whatever <laughs> he's got great ideas so yeah. pink, like pink and green was not a group decision no but pink and green is uh, pretty fun 
Chicks dig it. Yeah. <laughs> I look at it this way. A lot of people are colorblind, so the pink and green, maybe they'll figure it out. I've got a <laughs> pair of, well, they're not that pink anymore, but I have a pair of um, a, a darker pink vans. I just figured, what the fuck? Yeah. At my age, hey, only real men wear pink. That's right. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's, let's hear the, uh, what's the song name again? Is this Uno Dos Death. All right, let's hear it. was recorded at Red Rum Skates. Mixed by me, Jer. Music provided by Breakacre. We appreciate all our listeners and our guests. Please stay tuned until the next one. Have a great one. Bye.